welcome. I'm your host, Man Preet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMA LOTN, joined as always by my guy Cody Saftik. You guys can follow him at CJ Saftik on Twitter, and we are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 65, headlined by. Uh, two heavyweights here. We got Derek Lewis hoping to snap a two-fight losing streak. He's going up against rising contender Sergey Spivak. A couple other interesting fights sprinkled out throughout the card. We were originally scheduled to have 14 fights, but now here we are on Thursday of fight week with 12 fights. So hopefully no more fallout so we can get that regular 12 scheduled fights that we're used to on a UFC card. Very much looking forward to that. Cody! been a week since i last spoke to you my friend uh how you been doing how how did uh the the pay-per-view go and, and obviously I, I think you have you have a little bit of news you want to share in terms of uh the, the event that we're both supposed to be at today what happened did we lose cody i think we lost cody I think we lost Cody. <laughs> Great way to kick off the show. I apologize for that, guys, but we will have him back in here very shortly. Oh, I think we got him. There he is. In his crazy glory. <laughs> What's going on, dude? Yeah, sorry about that. I was going like good right before the show started. I know. Then I was then I was answering a text message to Efren Escadero. I'm like, I need to get this fucking thing done baffling he's like i don't know if i can get into canada i was like what do you mean you don't know if you get to canada i got a bit of a record i was like ah. yeah right so i brought up his record i'm like bro he's fought in russia poland mexico austria belgium japan mexico but i guess he's from mexico so that one doesn't matter brazil sweden the fuck you got in all those countries no problem what do you mean you can't get into canada and he's right like we do background checks but like no other country gave you an issue can't be that bit of a problem right so I apologize. I don't know if my internet somehow took a shot because of it, but hopefully we get through the show, talk some fights, and not have to worry. Exactly. Last week, I think we made it right to the ending before I ended up cutting out, but you look perfectly fine now. Your internet connection looks phenomenal. Uh, we do have a couple of people asking in terms of the uh, the event that was supposed to take place today. I was supposed to see you in Toronto today, my friend. I was supposed to be at that show as well. Uh, anything that you can briefly share with us in regards to that and if they've decided to reschedule it or uh, what the next show that you're working on is so that people can support it. Yeah, okay, so 100%. Basically, their issue was they're coming to Toronto, they're doing an event. So just to give you, like, the background optics, because we've got two fights canceled, so why not waste some of your time off the top? Um, they they Originally, they had, they had a show, right? I told them, listen, if you want to have a good MMA show, you need to plan this thing 12 weeks in advance, right? That way you can secure the fighters you want. They agreed, but basically 10 weeks after, like, we have a date. So I'm like, well, what's the date? And this date, November 17th. First of all, Thursday, don't care about that. The bigger concern was that there's another pro MMA show, Provincial uh, Fighting Championship, Prospect Fighting Championship, PFC, three weeks before. And then there's this mega unified card happening like three weeks after. And there's a BTC show, which is like Ontario's longest running promotion, really. Yeah. Split down in the middle for the mix, right? So they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll just go scoop up some local talent. It's like, there is no local talent. All these guys are already contractually obligated to fight three weeks earlier on this other show. The guy running the show is a doctor. The doctor is the guy that fucking licenses everybody. So everybody's fighting on a show. They owe him a favor. They're fighting on a show. Made that clear, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> so now it's like, okay, well, let's forge forward and let's get the, the top free agent guys. So we put together a seven-fight card. I was pretty confident with the card. Good-looking card. A couple UFC veterans, a couple top-level Canadian prospects. Obviously pumped up for Charles Jordan's brother, Louis, to be on the show. 
feeling good about it, right? So we roll in a fight week or like the Saturday out and this kid Isaiah Meditak on the undercard is like, oh, I sparred last hard sparring session. It's always the last hard sparring session. Believe me, always the last hard <laughs> sparring session. He shoots face first into a knee and he's got concussion syndromes and he's pulling out. So I don't want to risk a guy's health. So it is what it is. He's officially out. Uh, elsewhere on this card, this Jordan, uh, this Xavier Nash. He's seven and five. He's coming off a win over Tristan Carnley, who's a UFC veteran. Fucking beat Michelle Pereira up a weight class on like three days notice. He's coming off a win, highlight reel win over UFC veteran. And he himself is a 12 fight, fight veteran fighting a guy making his pro debut. And he pulls out, not the pro debut guy, he pulls out, citing a, a knee injury. So it's like, well, what can you do? He hurt his knee. He's compromised. Losing to an O and O guy's a bad look. So you're not going to force a guy to jump in there and do the damn thing. And then it was like, this guy was coming in from France. They thought he was coming in from Paris. It turns out he's coming from Nice. Nice is like 100 kilometers from Paris. So he had to fly from Nice to Paris, then from Paris to Toronto. So it's like the whole thing start to kind of fall apart at the seam. So I was adamant, like, man, you just got to chug on. Like, bad luck happens. And even if you melt down to a three or four fight card, just like making an night of entertainment. They had Caveman yeah. Sam doing the hot dog eating contest. Have a band come out. Have some jujitsu guys. There's local black belts. There's MMA fighters, black belts. They want to compete. Why not make it a $500 submission only match, right? If nobody yeah. wins, go home. Man, get 100 bucks. If you submit the guy, get 500 bucks, go home. Make it a night where it's like, come out, see the contest, listen to some music, watch a couple banger fights, and then just the guy just like shelled up, bro. Totally went silent, couldn't oh. handle the pressure. And it was just like, man, we're uh, we're postponing, we're postponing. So it's like, okay, well, when do you think you're postponing to? He's like, yo, we got a date, December 29th. So I'm like, man. What the fuck is going to come out during Christmas holiday? Uh, that's what I said. I was like, first of all, which fire is sacrificing Christmas? So like, yeah, I just, I'll just cut wait right through Christmas. Yeah, exactly. No so you're sacrificing Christmas. Then beyond that, you're essentially sacrificing New Year's. You're not making plans to go out. You're fighting like two days before. I'm like, how are you going to book hotels in the city of Toronto uh, during Christmas and New Year's? Right, Everything will be $600 a night. Uh, transportation in the city will be double. Everything in the city is double because it's like the hottest time yeah. of the year. And you're pushing it back six weeks. All these fighters are already pissed off at you because you've just delayed their fight back six weeks on two days notice. So they're not going to agree. They're not going to sign. You're not going to add any new fights to the card. And it's like the worst time to possibly do it. But anyways, it falls on like deaf ears. So I don't care. To give you full disclosure, the budget for the card, just the fighters, is $20,000. So you have $20,000 to put together a full card. It's not as easy as that guy should fight that guy. It's like, hey, we got the best local Canadian guy. He's agreed to fight on a pay cut. He might make $1,500 a show, $1,000 to win, and a cut of his ticket money because he's local and he can sell some tickets. His opponent, UFC veteran, He's coming in. You might be making a three and three. That's the majority right there in that fight itself. It could be an $8,000 fight for your main event. Now I got 12 grand <laughs> to put like seven or eight fights. To yeah, right. So you need these local guys that fight on a bare minimum $400 plus $400 because that's league minimum for a pro debut basically yeah. in Ontario, a four and four. And if you can't get those guys to fill out that undercard and those guys are the guys that are going to sell tickets, you're hurting times, right? So I'm doing the Z Promotions card in Alberta and it has a budget that's like three times the size. Yeah. And uh, you guys put on bangers for sure. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, bro. Like it's so much fucking easier. Like we'll start making announcements on Monday. Like they're big on let's not make announcements until contracts are signed in hand. But from the contracts that I have out that the, the fight signed, sealed and delivered, I just physically need them to sign back the, uh, or send back an electronic version. 
is uh, we got this local Canadian, Strana Gavrilovic. He's like a total banger. He's fought some of the high-end guys, but he's fighting fucking Bellator champion Rafael Carvalho, former Bellator oh, wow. champion Rafael Carvalho. Kyle Prepolik, UFC veteran, he's fighting on the card versus Cameron Van Camp, who literally just got fucking oh, wow. cut from the UFC. Those are high-level fights. Those are, and, bro, this is going to be a great card. Like, wow, Evan Escudero's got to get across the fucking border. Yeah. But <laughs> assuming that that stuff all falls into place, it's like this is going to be a really good card. You have more of a budget. There's more of a safety. You're working with bigger professionals. And the promoter, Tom, it's all a tax write-off for him at the end of the day. So he, he he's very adamant. He's like, don't sell any tickets. I don't want you to sell any tickets. I don't want any fighter you book to sell tickets. Just make sure it's a good fight on TV. Okay, fair enough. Easy for me. So, yeah, my focus is instead of, like, trying to penny pinch and stress myself out and chase these guys around, it's like Z Promotions has got a solid platform, a solid going, a solid budget, and I'm pretty happy with the work that I do over there. So, uh, yeah, my focus now is mostly just January 21st in Lethbridge and live on Fight Network. And, uh, of course, we'll talk about it, but, like, um, again, we, we, we want to thank the sponsors of the show, but we always talking about if you want to just bet more than UFC, if you want to bet Octagon MMA, if you want to bet BFL, if you want to bet these – different niche things <clears throat> we got a platform right here you can go you can you can you can bet some of these different sports as well so what i'd really like is to make this one hell of a banger show with seven or eight of these high profile fights where everybody knows the guys in the event and then get legitimate lines drawn up on them right and have a, a betting product because of course that's going to help the eyeballs come to uh, to your product as well so got myself doing a zillion things i'm going to pitch to do their marketing their marketing is pretty soft their social yeah. media is pretty soft they do weak posters. They do weak social media. They don't really have many engagements. And yet the cards are fucking fire, right? So where's the disconnect there? But I think the disconnect there is that you could be a fight fan and you'd be like, I love fights. And you could have millions of dollars, which he does, and put on these great fights. That's great. But it's like, do you go? And I'm not calling him an old man, right? It's just like older generation. It's like, do you go on Instagram and TikTok and like Twitter and Facebook and like engage with people with your fans? It's like, no, no, I run a successful oil business. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Well, like, do you have a guy that does like the marketing and does all that? It's like, no. It's like, well, it's, who actually runs these accounts? It's like, yeah, like his nephew makes a post here and there. And then like some other kid makes a post there. Like it's super disorganized. So uh, I think they should have more professionalism on that side of things. And I think I'm be a good piece to like tie it all in together, do good posters, do good previews, do good videos, do good artwork. And then, you know, through my connections at Fight Network, I just got people that are good graphic designers. Obviously, understand the game. So, anyways, I, I'm excited to to take over Canada, right? This other promotion, yeah, Front Row Fight Club's cool. I appreciate everything they did. I busted my ass for them. I think more than they did for me. But regardless of all that, uh, it's it. You know, that's just like a hobbyist thing. Like you're making a couple thousand bucks a month to match make fights. Like this is the kind of thing you could just do full time. Do the marketing for them. Do the matchmaking for them. Have six or seven shows. Be the number one promotion it's, in Canada. it's wild what with, with z promotions like those are one of the guys that have like high name value but then they don't really push themselves much so like there's there'll be times where i'm just like oh there's a z promotions fight last week and you see fucking you know carl or not not carlos newton fucking who's the emmanuel newton fighting on the car or something yeah, like that, right? yeah, like, yeah. Like, it is just so wild like btc and all these other promotions would kill to have high level talent like that or a high name value talent like that on their cards uh but then they're just stuck with like the the canadian regional guys so they can't really push it to the mainstream fan either on like z promotions so. yeah i was at a card Crazy. one time they had joe riggs on the card right and then uh yeah he fights it was a last minute re replacement opponent so he beats the guy the poster on it is just fucking straight trash it's like you know a picture of joe riggs ripped off google and you know <laughs> poorly cut out and then like a picture of his yeah. bum opponent poorly cut out with, on a bum banner with a small little logo and just like a generic cage backdrop like it looked it looked bum anyways yeah regardless right so he comes out he fights does the damn thing 
when the fights end uh, in Ontario, right, you've got to pay the people right then and there, right? And you'll issue them their check. Okay, here you go. Win bonus money has to get paid out in cash, right? So you're mm. supposed to pay out the win bonus in cash, have cash on hand, and then just give them a check for their, you know, let's say they're making a three and three, you give them a check for the three, and then you're supposed to pay them out in cash, the other three, right? This guy here, he just pays the whole thing out in cash fucking regardless. There are no checks. He just hands you cash, right? So like a couple instances where it's just like he just hands you this big old bag of cash. Johnny Bedford fought Jesse Arnett, right? Uh <laughs> It's a five-round war. I thought he won. Uh, judges didn't agree. But I thought Johnny Bedford won. Anyways, he ends up losing a tight decision, goes to the hospitals, face the fucking wreck, five-round fight. And then I run into him in the hotel lobby, and he's, like, panicked, man. And he's just like, man, what the fuck? He's like, I told them at the border that I wasn't coming into work. How am I going to explain having fucking $10,000 cash <laughs> and my face looks like this? How am I going to explain to that getting back over? And they're like, they're like, bro, bro. That's not ten thousand cash. That's nine hundred ninety nine dollars. That's nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars. <laughs> they're, like, they're like anything less than ten thousand. They can't ask any questions. They can fuck off. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> they had it all figured out. But with Joe Riggs, I don't know how he was going to get it across. But they handed him like twenty five thousand dollars cash. Like Emmanuel Newton, he made forty thousand dollars cash. Crazy. To come out and fight. Yeah. So it was like a crazy amount of money. But I think that's why you see it's like, well, why haven't they had a show in a couple of years? And if they've got all this money in this great budget, like there's, I think it's a little unorganized and you can have one great fight, but it's like people want to see more than one great fight. So same thing at the beginning of this card, they were like, well, let's spend a hundred thousand dollars and have, you know, a great card. It's like, what's the best fight you can put together? And it's like the best fight that I could put together, not necessarily the best fight entertainment wise, but like the highest profile fight. And anyway, so I pulled some strings. I reached out and I was like, I can get Diego Sanchez for like half your card's budget, uh, which is cool, which is great. But it's like, why just have that one fight where Diego makes up I don't know, 35 and 35, let's call it $70,000. His opponent wants a 10 and 10. If Diego ends up beating the guy, you know, you're invested for 70 or $80,000. And then you have the rest of your card in your $20,000 budget. Or why can't I have UFC banger, a UFC veteran versus a UFC veteran? in every single fight down the line and try to pay $10,000 for a fight and have 10 of those fights to make out the the $100,000. So different approach. But of course, with my approach, if something happens to your main event, gets canceled, you weren't relying on one fight to make the whole car, right? It's like, oh, fuck, that sucks. Well, the co-main event's a dopest fight too. Let's just slot that in instead and go from there. So I'm trying to make five main events on the main card. And then that way you're, uh, cover from both sides but you'd be amazed bro you'd be amazed you'll contact guys that were like i don't want to call anybody bum um you'll contact guys that like didn't have that great of a run in the ufc lower profile guys and they want a 10 and 10 and you'll contact guys that were like your fucking hero and did the damn thing when 10 fights in the ufc and they want a three and three like there's no rhyme or reason for what these guys ask some of them want a ton of money some of them are ridiculously cheap and the guys you think are a lot of money are fucking cheap and the guys you think are cheap want a lot of money. It's whack, bro. It's whack. But like every day you learn something new. So, yeah, no, I'm very excited to see what cards you put together for Z Promotions. As again, like that is one of the premier Canadian promotions considering the level of talent and name value that they can get on there. So definitely mark your calendars for that, folks. Cody will be looking after that January Z Promotions card 
Stay tuned for that. All right, let's get right into this card, Cody. We got 12 fights to talk about. Relatively, you know, mediocre serving compared to the last UFC 281 card that we just had. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a steady drop-off, obviously, from pay-per-view cards to fight night cards, but this seems to be more than usual. So let's start off with the first fight of the night. Flyweight division for the women. We got Natalia Silva taking on a contender series recent signee, Teresa Bleda. In terms of odds, you got minus 165 for Silva and plus 140 for Bleda. Now, um, Silva made her UFC debut successfully against Jasmine Jazduvicious as a pretty hefty underdog in that matchup. She pretty much beat her to the punch every single time. Uh, she was utilizing her movement and her uh, defensive grappling very well. Uh, it seemed like Jasmine was very frustrated trying to track down Silva, and she just doesn't really have the striking game to try to get that game going. Um, I, I liked what I saw from Silva, but I still think that that might be like a you know a bit of an overreaction to her performance, considering that she's a minus one seventy ish, minus one sixty five favorite at this point in time. Bleda came into the contender series as a like what it was a minus four hundred, minus five hundred favorite uh, in in that fight against uh, Nayara Maya. Uh, she seems to be a highly touted prospect out of the Czech Republic. A lot of her fights happening in that Czech Republic promotion octagon where she actually faced off against Lucy Podolova in an ex exhibition match. Uh, from what I could gather, that was during COVID era and they wanted to, you know, speed up these fights and and try to get them done with as much as possible or as quickly as possible. So whenever you saw a takedown initiated, you saw the referee stand them up almost immediately. Uh, they scored the takedown and that obviously uh, ended up allowing her to win that fight against Pudilova. But you see her kind of getting touched up. And, and that was about two and a half years ago. Uh, that we saw her fight, Lucy Putilova. I can safely say since that fight, she's definitely been making improvements in her striking. She likes to throw crisp shots down the middles. Uh, I, I like her wrestling game as well. She's very aggressive with that. And I do think that she can solve that puzzle of Natalia Silva in terms of crowding her up against the cage, uh, you know, moving forward, not really getting discouraged the way that Jasmine Jazdovicious did. And I think that should allow her to fuel a takedown heavy approach here. Yes, Silva is kind of offensive off her back and she has some submissions off her back, but I think that she's going to struggle doing that against a girl of Teresa Bleda's level. So I'll be leaning with Bleda to kick off the night with an underdog uh, win. Uh, and the specific prop here, well, fight does, fight goes to decision, hang around minus 200. I think that's a solid line considering how I expect this fight to go. Uh, but more specifically, Teresa by decision plus 215. I'm right there. I'm right there. What about you, Cody? What do you think about this matchup? Similar thoughts, but I decided to go the other way. Teresa Bleda on coming on the contender series. She's 20 years old, so she's very young. She's very green. She'd be one of the youngest fighters on the on the uh, the entire active roster. And if you remember that contender series fight, not that good. She won. She's physically strong. It looks like she could be a decent prospect down the road. In fact, she's not about a decent prospect right now. It just wasn't a super impressive win. It's the kind of win that had it been on the first episode of the contender series, she don't get a contract. But it was on. On one of the episodes of Contender Series where Daddy Dana's just shuffling these bitches out, bro. Contracts for everybody, even the audience members. Check out into your seat. There's a gift there for you as well. Um, so I, I don't know 100% that I agree with the signing. I think that she is strong. She is physical. But again, she's still got a little bit of a ways to go. Um, when I think about her opponent, Silva, Silva coming in the fight with Jesse Devisius, as you mentioned, big underdog, right? But here's the critical thing for me is that Silva hadn't fought in almost three years. And she's still only 25 years old. So theoretically, you have not seen the girl complete since 22 years old. She looked like she had some good skills. Could she have not come back as a much better fighter three years later? And I think you saw exactly that. She was strong. She was physical. 
Cardio is pretty good against Jasmine. She mixed in two takedowns against what was on paper the superior wrestler. She easily outstruck her, faster hands, beat her to the punch, uh, almost tripled her up on the volume. Very solid. Now, that's your first fight back after a three-year long layoff. Now, you should have a little bit of that ring rust off, sophomore outing a little bit better, still only 25 years old, and showed off a lot of good stuff. So, for Blada, Blada seems to be killer with, uh, she's killer be killed with the takedown. She's going to try to fight her way into the clinch. She's going to try to peel her to the ground, and she's going to try to do some work from top control. I think she might be able to have some success. But again, I think Silva's going to have a strong hips, ability to get back up, throw submissions off her back, and have a solid enough striking advantage that she's going to be landing those meaningful shots. She's going to be landing the volume standing. Even if she does get taken down, I just need those judges to uh, to score the stand-up a little bit more favorably than they do a little bit of ground position, maybe a takedown. So close fight, competitive fight. I just feel like Silva ends up uh, edging it out by decision. So give me the Silva by decision side, which is about plus 140. There you guys go. Dissension on the first matchup of the night, but we got plenty more to get through. So let's get to the next one, which takes place in the men's bantamweight division. We got Fernie Garcia going up against Brady Heastand. Uh, minus one step, minus 170 on Heastand and plus 145 the return on Fernie Garcia. Now, Garcia, a uh, contender series alum as well. He fell short in his UFC debut against Journey Newsom. And, uh, you know, he was a slight favorite there. Uh, you know, a lot of people looking at his boxing uh, work, you know, good combinations, fluid with the strikes right down the pipe. Uh, and, and throws punches and bunches. He's not one of these guys that just pot shots and try to knock you out with every single strike. I like that about his game. But he's going up against a very high, you know, uh, in my opinion, a high-level grappler, a high-level wrestler here in Brady Heastan, who apparently um, during the first week of him being on the Ultimate Fighter tore his ACL and continued to stay in that competition, made it to the finale where he went up against Ricky Tercius, where he still had a shredded ACL, um, put up a pretty good fight, split decision loss for him there, close fight but you can see that he even with a try to knee was still going out there and wrestling pretty well now took uh you know roughly about a year off uh you see him uh in great condition at least what ig is showing me but we'll see how he looks when he actually steps inside the cage but i like the progression of his striking game that we've been seeing even while he has been he has been injured uh, he mainly had been training out of that sick jitsu camp, which was made famous by Michael Chiesa, Sam Cecilia, Juliana Pena at a certain time. Uh, and, and you know what kind of grapplers, at least, you know, Cecilia, or sorry, uh, at least uh, Chiesa and Pena, not so much Cecilia, who was more so of a banger. But uh, those guys, high level grappling, high level jiu-jitsu, very good wrestling. Uh, and that's what I'm expecting to see from Brady Heastan here. I got in him early this week around minus 155, minus 160. He's up to minus 170 now. I think this kid has a bright future. Like, I get it. He hasn't lost to Chad and Helliger on his record, which a lot of people will look at him and be like, how did he lose to this guy? But uh, that's a fight that went late. And anything that we know about Chad and Helliger, this guy is a scrapper. This guy will bring it to you uh, from minute one to, to minute 25 if it's a five-round fight. So he actually got knocked out in the third round of that fight. That fight was about three years ago to this point in time, almost to the date. Um, but I think we're going to see tremendous uh, improvements from Brady Heastan. I think this is a great uh, a fight for him to come back after that ultimate fighter stint and uh, pick up a win and really become one of the bright prospects in this bantamweight division. So give me Heastan. Heastan by decision is kind of what I'm leaning on here, which is currently sitting at plus 165. Uh, the fight to go to decision at minus 175, not too shabby either. Um, but again, I don't think that this is one where we really need to get cute with the props. Minus 170 on a guy like Brady Heastan, I think is a good enough price. But since we're, you know, a prop show, Heastan by decision, I'll go with that. What are you thinking here? 
I took the I took the is it Heaston or Highston? Doesn't matter. I took Brady. I took old Brady Boy by decision as well, plus one forty, plus one forty-five range. Um, I think the wrestling is gonna be the key for sure. You brought up the Chan and Hledger fight, <clears throat> and again, I'm big on this. He's 20 years old when he fights Chad and a ledger. Like yeah. as a matchmaker, it's very difficult to get someone aside on the dotted line to leave their comfort zone, right? To leave their state, to leave their country, to come over and fight in somebody else's backyard. But you want these veterans. You want these guys that are a little bit older, a little more mature. This kid's 20 years old, leaves, puts everything on the line, comes over and fights Chad, who's a full-grown man, on a long winning streak. In a five-round fight, it didn't quite go five rounds. It ended in the third. But my God, kid, he's got some cojones on him. And, and one of these kids that's eventually going to get better. It was a good experience for him. You're going to build. You're going to get better. He looked like the true standout on the Ultimate Fighter. Looked like the guy that would have the uh, the deepest run in the UFC, so to speak. Still young. Has that wrestling. And, of course, wrestling does win fights. I did pick him to take on Ricky to beat Ricky Tercios in the finale. He was plus money as the underdog in the finale. And strong argument that he did win the fight. Six takedowns. Uh, definitely had his way in that department. Unfortunately, uh, Ricky's kind of like a hit and miss guy. He shows up. He just throws so many strikes. He doesn't show up. What the fuck, dude? Staring at Eamon's a hobby all that time. We'll talk about that later. But with Brady, it's like I think that the wrestling's key. And again, you're, he's still young, so it's all about maintaining that top control. And I think his coaching staff will be able to go back to the drawing board and just take so much away from that fight. Fernie Garcia, again, he's got the superior striking arsenal. If he can keep the fight standing, he's going to box him up. He's got um, better striking, better boxing, better hand combinations, better hand speed, and a lot more volume. But takedown defense seems to be an issue for him. Journey Newsom's taking you down. And Journey Newsom is a boxer. So that's going to be a serious problem with Brady. And maybe Brady, as top control is not great for him, he's able to work his way back up. But the kid's tenacious. He's able to keep on him. He's able to chain wrestle. And even if he gasses out, flat gasses out after two rounds of chain wrestling, I think he's durable enough that he'll just be able to survive from the outside, drop the third round, and uh, and eventually still squeak out what is a cl closer than we'd like to the type of decision. But uh, in both scenarios, Brady easily cruises with his wrestling or wins the first two rounds, gasses out, and gets boxed up. In both scenarios, we win. We win a decision, plus 140. I took uh, I took Brady by decision as well. Uh, Charlotte's guy, Mitch Davies, here saying, a lot of questions about Brady still in pro competition. He's never beaten anybody with a win on the record, but he certainly has skills and a lot of heart. I will say this in response to that. The, guy that, the guys that he beat on The Ultimate Fighter, Solid dudes. Josh Reddinghouse, a veteran uh, fighting solid. all over the fucking world. Russia. And uh, Vince Murdoch, decent enough prospect, yeah. but uh, a solid win for him there as well. So um, I think he will answer those questions when he gets his hand raised this weekend against Fernie Garcia. All right, let's get to this next matchup here taking place in the women's strawweight division. We got Mar Maria Oliveira coming in uh, at minus 110. Actually, Vanessa Demopoulos at minus 110 as well. This fight is a pick em fight. We had uh, slight dog odds on Vanessa Demopoulos earlier this week, but seems like the love coming in on her. Uh, very simple fight to break down. Striker versus grappler, right? You got Maria Oliveira, who likes to utilize her her movement, her range, uh, likes to use her striking, throws a, a lot of combinations as well, likes to use her kicks too. Um, and the Vanessa Demopoulos on the other end, not much of a striking game. Like it's decent, but obviously not a strong suit. Her strong suit is when she can utilize her her strength when she can utilize uh, her muscles essentially, right? She's like one of the more jack chicks down there at 115 pounds. And you see that on full display when she's, you know, being very competitive with Jin Yu Fry in a fight that a lot of people might think that she got the robbery call in that, but like it was still a close fight and she showcased some solid things there. She has good, solid enough takedowns. Uh, I believe she's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and she does very good work in terms of getting fights to the ground and doing damage from on top. This is a fight 
where I feel like she'll be able to get those takedowns. This is a fight where I think grappling will likely be the difference maker in this pod. So uh, I, I do like Demopolis. I do actually like her to lock up that submission as well at plus 300. We've seen Demopolis get a couple of uh, submission victories over the last couple of fights. Uh, and I think that Maria Oliveira, although she didn't get submitted by Tabitha Ricci, which is a similar type uh, of opponent, obviously Ricci much better than Vanessa Demopolis, but I do think that Demopolis is a little bit more aggressive in terms of passing the guard, looking to get to those dominant positions, looking for the back of her opponent and seeking that submission victory. So if you can get, you know, submission slash decision, I think that would be a good way to go about it. I think the money line already is okay on Vanessa Demopolis, as I do believe that she deserves to be a slight favorite given her grappling advantages in this matchup. But if you want to get cute with it, like I said, Demopolis by sub plus 300 all the way up to plus 370 on certain spots. Sign me up. Who are you taking here, striker or grappler, Cody? Well, I got a bum line on my personal book that I use mostly. It's a Vanessa Demopoulos by submission plus 220. So they're wise to it. Same thing you're saying. Her win condition generally is the submission. She's got fantastic grappling. Not only that, but she trains still actively with Mackenzie Dern and a, a lot of high-level grapplers. And I would assume that this fight hits the ground. She's going to be in a in a good, favorable position. With Vanessa Demopoulos, I'm a fan of her work. The biggiggest thing is, as good of her jiu-jitsu is, her wrestling is just no good. And so... She generally doesn't get her fights to the ground unless her opponent falls her to the ground. And that, to me, is a little bit concerning, is that, uh, you, you know, your best skill is not something that you can necessarily put to use every fight if you can't get the fight there. Her striking work in progress, but a lot of it is just march forward, face first, get hit a lot, and then uh, try to make it scrappy. What I do like, what I am encouraged by, is that the way that she comes forward, uh, you know, aggressively like that, it does create scrambles. In those scrambles, the fight ends up falling to the ground when the fall when the fight falls to the ground that's when vanessa demompolis 100 does your best work when you look at maria Oliveira, is she just typically does give takedowns in pretty much all of her fights so last time out against glory to paola two takedowns given up uh not a whole lot of top control by de paola but still that's someone who's billed as a brazilian kickboxer the two takedowns is a little bit concerning tabitha ricci you know small for the division the five takedowns there Ricci did a mostly sat in the guard the entire time but as you're saying with vanessa demompolis if the fight hits the ground she just doesn't like sit in guard. She will go for it. She will go for it. She will try to pass. She will do damage. She'll be, you know, relentless. If the fight is the ground, even if she pulls guard right away, she's attacking with arm bars, triangle chokes. She's got a nasty inverted triangle choke over Sam Hughes on the LFA regional scene. She's a very dynamic uh, grappler. What makes her a better grappler than anybody else? I couldn't tell you, but if I had to guess, I would say the stripper experience, right? That stripper guard of hers, those legs, man, it's like the jaws of life ripping a car open, buddy. You don't <laughs> want to go down there, okay? Nobody has any good stories about hanging in her fucking guard. The same way nobody has any good stories about, hey, I got my head stuck in a wood chipper, right? It doesn't happen. So, yeah, I think the fight at some point hits the ground. And when it hits the ground, I feel like uh, that's when Demopolis is going to take over and do her best work. So, this is more of a pass. It's a tightly contested 50-50 women's MMA fight. As much as we're talking about Vanessa Demopoulos, she's giving up a 10-inch reach disadvantage, right? So, like, this fight doesn't hit the ground. Uh, yeah, she'll come forward and be aggressive in this and that, but, like, it's not super clear cut. It's that if she's going to win, the submission looks good. And if you're on a better book than I am, apparently, yeah, three to one on the submission prop looks, looks very doable. Now, could she just win a decision as well? Yeah. Could she win a TKO? possible but more likely it's going to be a submission i can see the fight going to decision she doesn't get any takedowns but again i'm trying to play out what's the most likely scenario and 90 percent of mma fights hit the ground at some point when it does vanessa demompus on top and when that happens vanessa demompus snatches something up so uh sign me up for uh 
for Vanessa Mamba to get the job done. Hopefully by submission, plus 300, plus 250. Plus, you mentioned there's a book out there maybe hanging a plus 350. Uh, all good lines and uh, for, for an outcome that is definitely possible. I love it. I love it. All right, let's get to this next matchup. Bantamweight fight here between Ultimate Fighter winner Ricky Tercios. He's going up against Kevin Natividad. We got minus 155 on Ricky and plus 135 the return on Natividad, who finds himself at a new home now. He is a, a new member of the Fight Ready team. Uh, obviously, big, big things coming out of that gym. So a uh, very promising future for Kevin Natividad if he can really bring it together and utilize what their game plans normally are. Um, so I'm excited to see what he looks like here against Ricky. Uh, Kevin, when you watch him in his recent fights, you think he's a striker, right? He throws a lot of big power in his hands, uh, really just sticks with the, with the striking game. Uh, when guys try to take him down, he showcases solid takedown defense. And then when you watch earlier fights from his career, like in his LFA days, you see him going for takedowns and you see him controlling guys with, you know, decent success. Um, Ricky Tercios, on the other hand, we kind of spoke about it a little bit earlier when we were talking about Brady Heaston. Complete wild man, right? The guy throws crazy amount of volume out there. Even if he's only landing at an 11% clip like he did against Eamon's hobby, he still wants to get up there in terms of 100, 200 significant strikes thrown. Um, whether he hits them or not, that remains to be seen. And that's why it's always so hard to, to back him, even as a, as a favorite here, especially at minus 155. I do believe that I'll likely have the output advantage here against Kevin Natividad. I think he'll be able to use that range and speed and, and that that movement to kind of keep him out of any big trouble. And should Natividad even look to try to, you know, mix things up and, you know, with a new training camp, like, like fight ready, you would expect to see a more complete MMA game from him. Even if he tried to uh, approach it with a grapple heavy approach, uh, I think we've seen good enough things from Ricky Tercios to showcase that this guy doesn't settle for bad positions. Like he's always either throwing strikes off of his back, throwing up submissions, disrupting the balance of his opponent from on top or working back to his feet. And I think that's what Natividad is going to struggle to do with. That's keeping Ricky Tercio static. But then from there, it's it's a fucking, you know, uh, it's a lottery in terms of whether Ricky Tercios is going to be able to land on the majority of shots that he's throwing out there. That's my big concern for this matchup. The spot that I would lean to more than anything are the overs, right? The I, I think the overs are probably the best way to go. I know they're chalky here. Uh, sorry, I, I pulled up the wrong one. Uh, the TV Tercios, here it is. Uh, over 2.5, minus 2.10. Fight goes to decision, minus 175. Both guys relatively hard to put away unless your name is Dana Batgrio or your Miles Johns and you're grabbing the inside of the glove of Kevin Natividad and bringing, back him, bringing him right back into your punch to knock him out. Uh, I think this fight does go the full 15 minutes. So uh, I'll go Tercios and Tercios by decision, which currently sits at plus 130. Uh, but just to cover both sides in case Natividad does have more success than I'm expecting him to have, uh, taking the fight to go to decision at minus 175 is probably where I put my money. What are you thinking here? Yeah, so I agree pretty much on all points. The only one point I don't fully agree with is I, I honestly don't think Kevin Natividad is is all that durable. I don't. So you did mention his last two fights are both by knockout. <clears throat> Dana back row melts him. Damn, Dana hits hard. But does Dana hit that much harder than a vast majority of the rest of the division? Not necessarily. And he got melted in 50 seconds. The knockout before that against Miles John, maybe it's the inside of the glove, but Miles John hadn't thrown a whole lot of strikes at that point in the fight. And again, he didn't just get TKO'd. Maybe it was an early stop. Like, yeah, bro, he's knocked out. He's all the way out. His only other career knockout loss is a couple years prior to this Glenn Baker. And Glenn Baker was three and three at the time yeah, and knocked him point. out in fucking nine seconds, right? So I don't know that he can take a great punch. Now, 
my mistake, I forgot the name, but you had a fan earlier in the show mention the fact that it's like, well, can we get behind this guy knowing that he hasn't fought anybody? Bro, who the fuck has Kevin Nativit had fought? Because after he got knocked out by 4-3 and three Glenn Baker, you got an 0-3 Isaias Cordo, you got like a 9-9 nine nine Tyler Balecki, a 2-2 two two Tom Knee, a 10-10 ten ten Andrew Perez. By the way, he squeaked out a split decision win over Andrew Perez. And then beats Kyle. Uh, sorry, sorry. That was not a close fight. That, no, the judges fucked that one. Yeah, yeah fucked right. I, I know what you're saying, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, you, you know, should it have been a split decision? No. But all the same is that he fights a lot of mid-level 500 record journeyman types. And it's not yeah. like he's crushing. This guy's going far in his, uh, you know, in his pursuit of mixed martial arts glory, right? Kyle Estrada, I think that's a good win because Kyle Estrada has got a couple close fights against guys like Adrian Yanis uh, and all that. But yeah, that, he's not a great fighter himself. Kyle Estrada, again, one of these more, you know, type journeyman type opponents. So Natividad makes that big jump up from fighting mid-level guys. He's had two fights in the UFC. He's been knocked out pretty spectacular fashion in both of them. Last time out, 50 seconds. That's two years ago. Yes, he's moved over to fight ready, but if he has a chin issue, I don't know that it's going to get all that much better. The guy can wrestle. He just doesn't choose to wrestle. He seems to sit down on his right hand, try to line up his opponent. He's had a lot of success knocking guys out on the regional scene, which I think has caused him to be like, this is the best approach for fighting. And as a result, he's trying to strike. He's getting hit. He's not able to take it. I would be way bigger on Ricky if Ricky had more finishing ability with his hands. He's just not a knockout guy. So even though I could speculate the nativity, I can't take a great punch. Ricky's got three career TKO victories and is more of a land 100 plus strikes, hit from the outside, sporadic movement, wild movement. I guess I should say erratic movement, not sporadic, but very erratic all over the place, moves a lot, you know, throws a lot of strikes, mostly volume strikes, mostly range finding strikes. I don't know that he sits down on anything. So I'm going to follow in your footsteps and agree. I think the best play would probably be the Ricky by decision. I just think he yeah, works some top to bottom, but Super sneaky Ricky by knockouts like plus 600. And if Natividad is chinny, if he hasn't recovered from that, uh, Ricky's sheer volume, something will get through eventually and I think hurt him. So more of a bit of a small little teaser punt play, if anything, Ricky by TKO. But uh, I think the more logical step is Ricky just outvolumes him, outworks him, and hopefully wins a decision. Not completely writing off Natividad. Time away could have improved. Not super old by any means. But I was never really all that impressed with what I saw in the regional scene. And the two fights in the UFC has given you almost no results. So last but not least, and then we can move on. If I never saw Ricky versus Eamon Zahabi, I am in on this money line. And I'm probably in on this prop pretty good. But, like, I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what the game plan was. But that was the worst performance. He stood and stared at him and just gifted the fight away. So, uh at least he didn't claim he blew his knee out after throwing a half-hearted kick early in the first round, fall over and cash the ticket for somebody else. But he didn't fight like himself. I need Ricky to go and be classic Ricky mode and come out here, uh, be that wild man, engage this guy to the best of your abilities, and quite simply outwork him. Seeing as a hobby fight makes me worried, but I'm hoping it was just you know a one-time thing and Ricky can get back to what he does best. Yeah, the, the the question mark for me in terms of whether Ricky will actually get the knockout is like not much of a power puncher as of late, right? We, we, we have to go back a couple of years to see the last time he's knocked somebody out. Um, and he seems to be content with just throwing more output out there rather than looking to get that kill shot against his opponent. But if Kevin Nativity's durability is as bad as you know some people believe it is, then he might um he might actually go out from that. All right, let's get to this next matchup, and we're going to be staying in the 135-pound division. The aforementioned Miles Johns 
He's going to be taking on short notice replacement here, Vince Morales, or I believe actually it's the other way around as Vince Morales was originally scheduled to fight. Uh, let me just get the name here. Jose Johnson. Uh, but Jose Johnson forced to pull out in steps Miles Johnson. In terms of odds, we got minus 170 on Miles Johnson, plus 145 the return on Vince Morales. Now, I've never really been a big Vince Morales guy. Like, I had a lock of the night play against him last time around when he fought Jonathan Martinez. Uh, I lost a decent amount of money when I loaded up on Luis Smoka against Vince Morales. Like, yeah. that should let you know that I just wasn't, uh, you know, I, I'm not high at all on Vince Morales. But I got to give the guy some flowers, man. The guy has good striking combinations when he is on, when he actually moves forward and throws his punches. The guy does good work. Um, the question is, can he keep this fight upright? Because Miles Johns, I, I believe he was originally known as a wrestler, but this guy has horrible takedown accuracy. Like, I believe it's in the 20% range of how many uh, takedowns he actually hits. If I'm not mistaken, I believe he's only hit one official takedown uh, in his MMA career, or sorry, his uh, UFC career. Let me just get the number here. Yeah, he only landed, sorry, he landed three on the contender series, but since joining the UFC, he's only landed one, and that was when he fought Cole Smith in his UFC debut. He shoots takedowns at a 28% success rate. He shoots a lot, but he doesn't get them often. Uh, he uses his strength early in fights and his speed and agility early, but as fights start to go on, that's where he starts to slow down, and that's where his opponents are able to you know, get the better of him. John Castaneda, the last loss on Miles Johns' record. Castaneda just kept the pressure on him the entire time, stayed in his face, threw punches, uh, didn't let him breathe at all, and then he eventually uh, submitted him in the third round of their fight. Vince Morales is a guy that will likely have the striking advantage here, but he will be behind the eight, will be behind the eight ball early in this matchup until later on, and that's where we're going to be able to see Vince Morales really start to do the better, uh, do his better work. Uh, you know, the longer that fights go, you see Miles Johns really start to telegraph his shot, really see him. Oh, there he is. He's back. Uh, um, the longer fights go, you see Miles Johns really start to telegraph his shots and really start to struggle in terms of landing on his target. And I think that if Vince, if his cardio is on point and if his striking and combination work is on point, he could touch up Miles Johns here and just win this fight off of a decision by by landing the more damaging blows over the 15 minutes. So another fight where I'm not really picking a side, like as a, an official prediction, I'm going to lean Vince Morales, but again, I still don't trust him enough to take that plus 145 on him, but the fight to go to a decision minus 135 to minus 150 on certain books. I think that's the spot, you know, Vince Morales, largely uh, durable. Maz Johns, largely durable as well. I expect this fight to hit that 15 minute mark. And for Miles, uh, Morales to actually get his hand raised by decision here, which currently sits at plus 250 by landing the more damaging blows. But the better bet, in my opinion, fight goes to decision. What are you thinking here? Yeah, so Miles John's one of these guys, extremely talented, does everything well. Good wrestle boxer, as you mentioned, came from a wrestling background, explosive shot. Takedown accuracy, not great. He's not finding that same result that maybe he should. But uh, no doubt his entries are, are excellent. His setups are very good. His boxing is, is fairly okay. Good power. Similar in a way, almost a poor man's version, Tony Gravely. But similar, if you were to go to the gym and see this guy in the gym, you'd be like, damn, Miles John is going to be a, a top-level fighter. He does everything well in his training sessions. He's just, you know, mustering guys around, no problem. It's that in the actual fight situation, he tires, man. I don't know if it's that, that fast-twitch muscle, that explosive movement. Uh, I just don't think that he's very good at, like, sustaining that pace over a prolonged period of time. If you look at his record, 
again, typically there's just a lot of these little moments where he's fatiguing. You can go back to that debut in the UFC against uh, Cole Smith. When's the first two rounds? Easy. In the third round, he's mad gas, bro. He's mad gas. Cole Smith takes his back, spends most of the third round on his back, almost chokes him out. Not a great look, but because he had won the first two rounds, he ends up getting a split decision over Cole Smith. His fight with Mario Batista, competitive in the first round. Second round, he noticeably starts to tire. The flying knee's a flying knee, so it wasn't like you know he was gassed down, got KO'd, but but you could see that the, the wheels were starting to fall off for him. He's tiring out. His fight with John Castaneda's last time out, he, again, he's competitive early. It's Castaneda's current pressure, his constant pressure, backing him up, being aggressive, staying in his face. He was the favorite over Castaneda, but again, it's like as talented as he is, the wheels start to fall off, the more pressure that his opponent gives him the longer the fight goes. So I think he's talented. I just don't know that he's able to maintain a strong pace for 15 minutes. Now, you mentioned he's coming into this fight on short notice. To me, that's what would have me backing off Miles John altogether. If he's in great shape on a full camp and is able to push the pace and kind of tie it all together, he is low volume, but he has solid power. And again, his wrestling is good enough, maybe not to get the fight to the ground constantly, but should be good enough to keep the fight standing. It really does revolve around his cardio. And coming in on short notice, I have a feeling if that falters, he's going to have some serious problems. Now, Vince Morales, bro, I know I know why we get along. We think alike. And like, I don't like Vince Morales either. I don't like him. He doesn't really have any X factor to his game. He's not a great wrestler. He's not a great striker. He doesn't have, you know, killer cardio or killer pace or killer volume. His power, yeah, he locked, knocked out Louis Smolka. It's like the only time Vince Morales has knocked somebody out. And I'm pretty sure it's the only time Louis Smolka has ever been knocked out. So it's like bad luck that me and you had bet Louis Smolka. Because, of course, the one time he's going to get knocked out is by a non-puncher in <laughs> Vince Morales. He does have a couple knockdowns. He knocked down Benito Lopez. Um, I thought that was a fight that, again, he probably should have won. Didn't fight all that bad. It's that he's a, very much a generalist. Now, he's cousins with Ricky Simone. Don't know if that matters at all. But you can tell <laughs> that not quite as – not as much potential, not as, um, as much growth, but very similar. Hardworking kid that does make improvements fight to fight. He'll always be a – a fringe top 20 guy. I don't think he'll ever break into that top 15. Certainly never going to be a championship caliber fighter, but someone that if you can get a good price on low key is going to cash some tickets for you. Now, how does he match up with miles? John, he himself can wrestle. I don't think miles. John's just going to be able to take him down easy. I think John's a lot faster, a lot quicker, a lot more explosive. And in the first round, John probably wins. But if John doesn't knock him out in that first, Morales is going to start taking over. The leg kicks will start to add up. He'll start to find his rhythm with the right hand. He'll start to slow him down. He'll stop the shots, tire him out, win two, win three, I got Morales. I think I'm leaning Morales by decision, even though John's durability is a little bit questionable. I will take the Morales by decision. I'll take the over on the fight. And uh, I'm looking to live bet it as well. Like if John wins the first round, but you can start to tell that that, that movement starting to fatigue, starting to slow a little bit, and Vince Morales just stays with it. He's not quite as fast as John's in the first, but he stays with it, drops around. I get an even better live money um, price. Then, uh, then, yeah, I think I'm going to hit a little bit of live market too on Vince Morales. So weird. I never thought we'd come to the day where we both agree on Vince Morales, especially against a guy like Miles Jones. But desperate times comes for desperate, desperate measures, right? Especially in this matchup when you have short notice Miles Jones jumping in. All right, let's get to this next matchup. It takes place in the women's flyweight division. We got Jennifer Maya coming in as a plus 160 underdog. She's going up against one of the newest members of the Playboy team, Marina Moroz, comes in a minus 190. 
Now, it came out a couple weeks ago, probably a month ago at this point in time, that Moreau's uh, signed with Playboy, one of the first ever, actually the first ever UFC fighter to be featured on in Playboy. So uh, big ups to her. If you look at her IG page, you can understand why she is very much in love with that side of her uh, her image. Uh, but when it comes to fighting as well, she's put together a solid couple wins over her last couple of fights, Cody. She uh, goes out there and dominates Maria Agapova, who may have had some sort of knee injury, but she did manage to get the submission choke victory uh, halfway through that second round. Uh, two fights before that, she defeated Sabina Mazzo, grinded her out. She looked very sloppy in that third round, but she did enough in those first two to win that fight. And the same with the Myra Bueno Silva fight, grinds her out and wins that fight via decision as well. Marina Moroz, she's really turned a corner over the last couple of fights by landing multiple takedowns for a fight, which allows her to grind these uh, these fights out and control her opponents for a long period of time. Her, her jiu-jitsu game is pretty uh, good, so she does a good job in terms of holding her opponents down. And then on the feet, she utilizes her movement, long reach, and, and you know decent output to stay competitive in those rooms. But when she can be uh, touched up by somebody that can stop the takedowns and have better striking... That's where she'll probably run into trouble. My my qualm here with her going up against Jennifer Myers. Jennifer Myers fought like the best of the best, right? She's had a title shot for God's sakes. She's gotten to the top of this division. She's a good striker. She has a, a BJJ black belt as well. But I think that she might end up being too slow for this matchup. Uh, the uh, in the early going. That should allow Moroz to land takedowns here and grind her out and take home that decision victory. But I'm wondering if this is just like a market overcorrection on the Moroz side. Like, are we? 100% sure that she's going to continue to do this against the steps up in competition that she's going to be taking. Jennifer Maya, not the greatest fighter, but like will likely give her some resistance. And if Moroz can't get this fight to the ground, Jennifer Maya might be the be uh, one that pulls off uh, the better strikes, lands the more significant strikes. It might even end up looking like the Jessica I fight, which was, you know, they're going tit for tat in terms of the, the, the striking uh, and the numbers and the output. And Jennifer Maya got her hand raised that night because she was the one landing the more impactful uh, strikes, at least according to the judges. So for me, stay away fight. I, I want nothing to do with it personally. I do end up leaning the Moreau side just because I like her tenacity in terms of... Um, sorry, let me just block this weirdo in the chat here. <laughs> Spam in the live chat. Uh, but yeah, I, I am going to lean Moreau's, Moreau's by decision, which currently sits at... Uh, Minus 105, uh, and the fight goes to decision minus 300. That's way too chalky to even suggest. But uh, I I'm just concerned that we're overreacting to this this new version of Moreau's that we're seeing who's very grappling-oriented. So uh, give me Moreau's, Moreau's by decision. But let's just sit back and see how she does here. What are you thinking here? Yeah, I, I'm in the exact same boat again. <clears throat> I think with uh, with Jennifer Maya, she has that. She won the first round against Valentina Shevchenko, so that's what people people keep talking about. Like she fought for a title in world class competition. I get all that, but it's just like she's too slow. She's too slow in plotting. And I understand she's fighting the creme to the creme. She really is. <clears throat> but in both fights with Caitlin Jukagian and Mano Fioro, you just see her that she's just like a step behind. Her own offensive wrestling not good enough to get, take them down. And in fact, in both matchups. It's Jennifer Maya that's generally the one giving up the takedowns. Uh, she comes from that shoot-to-box style, very slow, very plodding, very flat-footed, dangerous, you know, durable, willing to take a tough fight, no doubt about it. But these these fighters that are a lot faster, that can play that outside game and mix in a few takedowns, are going to be problematic. Now, with Marina Moroz, she was always very talented. She just never quite tied it together. Now, if you look at her last fight, 
it, it's a, coming off a layoff. And she gets on the scale and physically looks fantastic. Mentally gets in Agapova's face, you know, basically tells her I'm going to break you. Agapova tries to shake her hand. It's like, I do not like you, girl. Wait until you see what's in store. And then goes out there and puts a beating on her. Prior to that, the Maria Bueno Silva fight, very similar style against uh, Jennifer Maya, both shoot to box stylists, both very plodding and a little bit slower. And uh, Marina Moroz mixes in a lot of clinch into that fight. But again, you've seen the volume, you've seen the numbers, you've seen the, the overall output. You comes from that uh, amateur Ukrainian boxing background, decent jab. Uh, again, just punching combinations from the outside, stay long and outwork her. Makes in the takedowns, no doubt about it. But I feel like Marina Moroz goes out there and wins this fight. Where I do see the market overcorrection is in the money line. It just seems too big. I mean, this is going to be a closely contested fight. It probably goes 15 minutes. And Jennifer Maya, again, goes 15 minutes against some of the best girls in the sport and gives an okay account of herself. This is a step down to what she's been fighting. This is a step up to what Moroz has been fighting. Why is it nearly two to one on the money line for Marina Moroz? I don't quite agree. So the best prop, I think, is trying to take this fight to go the distance because I am taking Marina Moroz, as you are. I would go for the Marina Moroz by decision. I feel like mixing in a few takedowns, using the jab from the outside, use the superior volume. And again, just rack up numbers on the judges' scorecards. Hopefully get the job done that way. The Playboy thing, I don't, I don't know if that helps or hurts her. <laughs> I, I really don't know. I, she's a very pretty girl, but not the first girl that jumped out my head of like, I'd buy that issue. But uh, I'll probably still buy that issue. But uh, you know, this is this is fight analytics, and fight analytics says uh, I think she just again superior work rate, superior grappling. Being an American Top Team for those two years off that you don't see her huge training with some of the best fighters in the game, training with the highest level coaches. You know, being around Joanny and Jacek, being around uh, Karolina Kovalkiewicz, being around some of the sports best fighters in her own weight class. It's just a matter of time before she was able to uh, kind of pick up on some of those other aspects of her game that were lacking. So to see her come back so good against Agapova again, that gives me that gives me confidence that you're going to see an even better version of her here. There's some marketability behind here. The UFC is pushing the marketing machine. She's got a great opportunity here and someone that could get fast tracked to a title opportunity because she's a fresh face. She just needs a couple decent wins and a win over a former title challenger. Jennifer Maya does do a lot for you. So I agree. I think she wins. I think she wins by decision. I like it. I like it. I'm looking forward to seeing this potential rise from Rose. If she can get her hand raised here, that will definitely help her case. All right, let's stick in the flyweight division, but let's change genders. Let's go over there to the male side of things where we got Zagas Zumagulov going up against Charles Johnson in the prelim headliner. In terms of odds, we got minus 165 on Charles Johnson and plus 140 the return on Zalgas Zumagulov. Now, Zumagulov is coming off a, a close split decision loss to Jeff Molina in a fight where Jeff Molina even thought he lost that fight right before his name was read as the victor. But close fight. I did, I thought Zalgas did enough to actually win that fight. You saw him take a, a concerted effort in terms of just like pushing Jeff Molina up against the cage, trying to keep him static, keep him up against the cage and, and dish out his damage from there. Um, but then when they were back at range, that's when Jeff was able to get off on his slicker, more technical strikes compared to the wide winging hooks that were coming back from the Zalgas Zumagulov side. Now we've seen Zumagulov actually look for that, uh, you know, striking heavy approach, that knockout heavy approach against a guy like Manal Cap, and he paid for it dearly by getting knocked out in that fight. So right now he's on a two-fight losing streak, and it doesn't look good when you like pull the scope out and look at his entire UFC career. He's one in four in his UFC run, and although a couple of those fights likely should have gone his way, to only have your to have your only UFC win over a guy like Jerome Rivera is a little bit concerning. 
now on the flip side for Charles Johnson, former LFA flyweight champion. Obviously, a lot of people remember that war that he had against Carlos Mota in his last LFA fight, five-round war, which eventually Johnson was able to win in that fifth round via TKO. You saw him showcase his full arsenal of skills this guy is a great striker very fluid with his movement very fast as well has a great muay thai game he is an olympian but not in combat sports it's apparently in steeple racing or steeple just whatever the fuck it's called it's like when you jump over the the hurdles pretty much but not with horses with yourself <laughs> uh so uh you know he has that olympic level experience in terms of competing at a high level even if it's in a different sport that should definitely help him when he takes uh center stage on the u in the ufc octagon like he will be this weekend he did have an unfortunate result in his first fight with the ufc as he went up against phenom uh mohammed mokayev you know, he showed off great takedown defense that night, and he did a lot better than people expected him to do because everybody expected Makayev to just ragdoll this guy and finish him in the first round. But his takedown defense held up. He made it very difficult for Makayev to establish some sort of dominant position for him to actually get off good enough uh, uh, shots and good enough strikes so that he can finish the fight. So he saw the 15-minute mark, but it just wasn't the best effort from him considering he couldn't get much offense off. This matchup against Zalgas, I think we'll see his speed and his footwork be a little bit too much for Zalgas here. Even if Zalgas wants to take a clinch, heavy or grapple, heavy approach, we've already seen Charles Johnson deal with that and pass with, you know, defensively speaking, flying colors. But I think that he won't have as hard of a time dealing with Zalgas here. I think he'll be able to break back out into space and then from, rare, from there really touch his opponents from distance and... Um, tally up the numbers and get the volume out there and get the output out there. So I do like Charles Johnson here to get his first win in the octagon by getting his uh, a decision victory here over Zalgas. Uh, Johnson by decision currently sitting at plus 150. Even the fight to go to decision on minus 200 I don't think is bad if you can't pick a side, but I am going to be picking the Charles Johnson side and I like his money line where it's at. If you want to get cute, plus 150 via decision. Sign me up. What are you thinking here, Cody? Yeah, yeah. I think the fight goes the decision. I am going to lean the other way and go Zalgas by decision. Slight underdog play. I think Zalgas' fights are pretty much always close and competitive. You mentioned one four in the UFC. Could have easily won that Rolly and Pava fight. Probably should have won that Rolly and Pava fight. Um, there's fights in the mix. It's like he, he, he could easily have a winning record in the UFC. Unfortunately, he, he's matched up with uh, really tough guys. And Listen, the Molina fight, even Molina thought he lost. And the Pava fight, well, definitely I thought he should have won that one. Um, the results aren't quite there, but they're always close competitive fights. So if you're telling me he's the favorite, nah, I think there's a good chance he's going to be in a close competitive fight and maybe lose a close split decision. But as the underdog, he's going to give you that same effort. The guy's cast iron. He's very durable outside of a whack flying knee from an El Cop. We'll give him a pass on that. He's fought five rounds prior to this um, when he was fighting on the regional scene over in Russia. Guy's tough. He's, he's, you know, you're going to have to do a, a big effort to take him out of there. He can fight deeper into rounds. He's strong. He's physical. He can wrestle. His striking, I will admit, it's uh, everything's loopy. Nothing's straight. Nothing's linear. Everything is a big hook over the top. Everything is a, a winging fast overhand right and overhand left, a home run shot. He doesn't put that money in the bank in. He's not putting in leg kicks. He's not paying dividends. He's not working the body. He's not doing all that stuff I do like out of strikers. But again, he's strong, he's powerful, he'll wing a couple big shots and then hopefully get a hold of you and peel you to the ground. So he hasn't quite found his footing, but I think this is a guy that's extremely talented. Johnson, it's no disrespect to him. It's that one, he's a little bit older. Like he transitioned, like you said, over from a hurdle jumping or whatever, comes over to MMA. And then since then, he's wanted this opportunity to fight in the UFC. He went over to Thailand, took a tryout at Tiger Muay Thai, got the contract in the tryout, spent a year out there, did some boxing, came back, fought for LFA, 
I, I know he's deserving of a UFC roster spot, but I don't know that I've seen it quite all out of him. Now, this is more theory-based than anything else, but he fights Carlos Moda in a five-round fight. He wins the LFA title. The UFC, by the way, didn't give him a contract right away. They ended up signing him to feed to Mokayev. Like, they don't particularly like him, but all the same. Big win over Mota. Now, Mota comes over to the UFC and fights Cody Durden and lays a total egg. Maybe he's just not as good as we thought. Now, Johnson, that's his biggest win, comes over and takes on Makayev. Makayev is the phenom, as you mentioned. Wrestling is insane. You know, Dagestani, he's just going to stay on you, and he's one of the top prospects and this and that. Looking at tape on Makayev, it looks like he's a little bit suspect. The Blaine O'Driscoll fight. Guys have been able to stretch him in the past. Charles Johnson has all the skills in the world to give him an, a difficult fight and instead gets taken down 11 times lands 12 significant strikes like you said he survived sure he offered nothing in that fight in the slightest bit now makayev is either the next great thing or maybe johnson not that good because makayev's very next fight against malcolm gordon he looks straight up fucking human right his wrestling wasn't all that good his striking wasn't existent he ended up getting a third on armbar to seal the deal and get the win over malcolm x but malcolm x made him look like a regular fighter Charles Johnson didn't offer him anything whatsoever. Now, when you look at Charles Johnson on the regional scene, he gets taken down in every single fight. He gets up in every single fight, but he gives up takedowns in basically every single fight. And to me, that's kind of worrisome here against Zalgas. When he was getting taken down by Makayev, he wasn't landing any shots. So Zalgas plays that tight in the space game, you know, press him up against the cage. Same thing he did against Molina. Fish for those takedowns. He got two takedowns against Molina. He took down Amir Albazi. He had a couple takedowns over Roli and Pava. His wrestling is good enough to take down Charles Johnson. What I need is top control. What I need is, is actual control time in the clinch. Because that range, Johnson's a little faster, a little more dynamic. But I think Zalgas is going to land those big chopping shots, get back in the clinch, try to press for the takedowns, neutralize this guy, and take that safe approach to get a it's close decision. Could be a split decision. Could be a competitive decision. But for the plus money on the Zalgas side of things, I'm going to lean towards his money line. For the prop side of things, I do agree with you. Fight goes the distance. Minus 200, probably the safest play on this card. Um, but because you're going Johnson, you think Johnson by decision. I'm going Zalgas. I'm going Zalgas by decision, plus 175. Very competitive matchup here for sure, but I do think that Charles will start to surprise some people as he starts taking, you know, more steps up in competition. Well, the Makayev fight, you're fighting the top of the division there, is at least what we think. He are is. you, are you, are you fighting a 21 year old kid who basically just squeaked by Malcolm Gordon? Is going to be the future of the division three, four years from now? Is going to be the next big thing when he's 27 years old? But you took on a bye. He wasn't a man. He was a bye. And he fucking took hey. you down at will, bro. 12 times, rode you like a miniature pony. And now and honestly, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take on Zalgus, cast iron Zalgus from the mountains of Mongolia. Need my boy Zalgus to get some control. <laughs> I'll say this. I, I wouldn't put it past what I have to assume that this guy did not take Malcolm Gordon seriously at all. Like we just had Andre Fialio, who we're going to be talking about later, admit that he didn't take uh fucking Jake Matthews seriously. And that's why he ended up losing that fight. I wouldn't run it past Makayev to be cocky in that matchup going up against Malcolm Gordon, but we shall find out tomorrow or on Saturday. Can't wait for this matchup. All right. That is a wrap on the prelims. Appreciate everybody chilling with us on this Thursday, uh, Thursday evening. Now, I should say uh, the 120 live viewers that we currently have hit that like and subscribe. If you haven't already drop a comment, if you're watching this on the back end as well, it's the best way to let the all-star know that you guys appreciate us on their channel. All right. Before we continue on to the main card here, let me just sneak in a quick word from our main sponsor here, which is the all-star app. Check it out.
shout out to the all-star app one of the best apps out there to follow mixed martial arts and even other sports but make sure you guys check it out it's available on all operating systems so uh hit the link in the description below and you'll be able to download it onto your mobile device and uh, i promise you won't regret it once you do all right let's get to this main card cody and it starts off with a bang because we got jack della madalena hot hot prospect going up against hot chocolate danny roberts terms of odds we got minus 580 now on the australian representative jack della madalena and plus 440 the return on danny roberts I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time on this matchup, if I'm being honest, because it's a striker's delight, right? We know that we're going to get both these guys throwing hands. Jack obviously looking phenomenal over his last couple of fights, not to mention that beautiful finish that he had over Ramazan Amiv, who is not an easy guy to put away. But Jack was able to get him out of there with, a, I believe it was started off with the body punch or body kick. And then from there, he was able to, to crumble him. But good hands. A solid and aggressive jiu-jitsu game as well if he requires it, but he likes to get his best work done with his hands, his combinations, and uh, just putting that pressure on his opponents. Danny Roberts came into the UFC with a highly touted striking game of his own, but it soon came to, to light that his durability is just not right. That's what that was the ultimate downfall of his last matchup against Francisco Trinaldo in a fight where he should have beaten the old man with his youth, with his speed, with his agility. But Francisco Trinaldo was able to land on him numerous times, hurt him numerous times throughout the fight, couldn't put him away, but hurt him tremendously and was able to get his hand raised via decision that night. I don't think we got to worry about judges at all in this matchup, Cody. I think. The fight doesn't go to decision. I think the last time I checked is around minus 325, minus 350. Solid parlay piece for anybody that, that likes to take that. Because as much as we all want to believe that Jack will starch this guy and put his lights out, we can't completely overlook the fact that Danny Roberts can crack as well. And if Jack gets a little bit too lackadaisical, he could get caught on the counter here and he could potentially get put out as well. Danny Roberts could potentially be live to pull off that upset which is why i'd rather go with the fight doesn't go to decision but if you want to take a specific prop here on how jack is going to win i do still lean the inside the distance because i could see him potentially snatching up a club and sub opportunity jack to win inside the distance currently sits at minus 250 uh i do think it's going to be by knockout which currently sits at minus 175 uh but i prefer fight doesn't go to decision and jack inside the distance what about yourself cody I I agree with all your points, man. You ever seen the movie the the Green Mile where they're they're walking John Coffee down? He's like, dead man, dead man walking on the Green Mile, right? Letting everybody know that's a fucking dead man walking on the Green Mile. That's I 100% feel Danny Roberts is a dead man walking on the UFC wow. Apex Mile. Uh, I like Jack Ella. I like what he brings. He's 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 fast. He's tenacious. He's got great striking. It's but it's volume, right? There's two types of strikers. There's your volume striker. Wow. There's the guys that don't throw shit and can't crack, but High-level guys. You either got your big power guys or you got your volume guys. Jack Dallas seems like one of these guys that's very capable of going out and landing over 100 significant strikes. But again, he's very accurate, and he stings with his shots. He'll mix to the body. He'll throw straight shots. He'll throw hooks. He'll throw everywhere. He'll mix in leg kicks. He just seems like one of these guys that if you, you can beat him, sure, but you're going to know you were in a fight. So far, what we've seen from him on the Contender Series, he comes out, a picture-perfect game plan against uh, Andrelusa. Lands over 100 significant strikes. Looks like one of the better prospects that we had seen on that season of the Contender Series. And so far, yeah, Pete Rodriguez is a one-round guy. He's at his best in the first three minutes. And he starches a bat in the first two and a half minutes. And, of course, his last time against Ameev, 
Amin's entire game is he can fight at 170, he can fight at 185, he will grab a hold of you, he will press you into the cage, and once he does, most guys can't really get their back off the cage. He's very physically strong. He's got a good chin. He's a fairly durable guy. And Jack Della, same thing. I think they realize they've got a very hot prospect here, an exciting fighter, someone that they could A, market, and B, is going to go out there and, and, and deliver for fight fans. And it's all about moving him forward and giving him the proper matchups. And I think a fight with Danny Roberts is exactly that. As you mentioned, Striker's Delight, we probably figured this one to be more of a striking battle. But with Jack Dell, if you're going to stand in front of him, you're going to strike, he's going to hit you. He's going to hit you. He's going to hit you hard. He's going to hit you a number of times. All of that doesn't bode well for Danny Roberts, who's had durability issues basically from the get-go. When you look at his career, dropped by Dominic Steele, knocked out by Mike Perry, knocked out by Nordine Taleb, knocked out by Michelle Pereira, his last fight against Francisco Trinaldo, every no knockdowns, two stanky legs. Bro, he'd get hit. His brain dis, just like is short fuses, and it's just like... <laughs> and there's a second there where it's like, oh, damn, he's not with it anymore. He was fighting well in that fight. He was building some momentum. And then the second he gets countered, it's like all that good work is undone. He ends up getting doubled up, tripled up on the striking numbers. The bigger shots landed by Trinaldo. And as you mentioned, the old man Trinaldo, who tends to... Uh, to sit back with his volume. He's not one of these guys that's going to uh, actively get after you and go out and, and land a number of shots. He's a lot older. He's got potential cardio issues, and he's got very high ring IQ. He sits and he waits on those one big shots. Dell is not going to do that. Dell is going to attack him. Dell is going to get after it. What you're saying about fight doesn't go the distance, that makes sense because Dell is either going to knock him out or MMA is a crazy bitch. He's going to walk into a counter right, and it's going to it's gonna detonate and put him down. But uh, I'm thinking Jack Dell gets the job done. I'm thinking he's going to get the job done specifically by TKO. Him by TKO minus 175, not the best price going. I don't like betting inside the distance props, especially not even a submission. We only have TKO at minus 175. It does seem deep, but I think that is the win condition. I think that's the most likely outcome for sure. And the only way if I want to get a little more greedy than that is I think I would chase the under one and a half. Like I don't know that Nanny Roberts is making it out much past that first round. Dell has shown us in his last two anyways that, uh, you know, three minutes is more than enough time. So five minutes is going to be great. And, and then again, getting out of that first round, if you touch him up, if you can find the target, if you can hurt him, if you can tire him out. And Danny Roberts is all confidence-based. If you can break his confidence in the first, that finish is coming early into the second. So minus 125, minus 130 and the under one and a half. It's a better price than the Della by TKO at minus 175. But I would hate to get a late second round TKO stoppage and lose the bet. So I'm just going to go with Della by TKO. I like it. I like it. I'm very excited about Jack, man. Like I had my questions about him, especially going into that Ramazan and me fight. Uh, and I paid for it. Obviously, Jack dispatched of him pretty quickly there. But this guy looks like he could be a, a solid uh, a star in the UFC, given his fighting style and given the support that he's likely going to be getting from that oceanic crowd uh, once he really starts, uh, you know, hammering his name in there and fighting these bigger name guys as well. Hopefully, quick knockout here, throw him onto the Perth card in February and you can grow his following even more at that point as well. All right, let us get to this next matchup. Second fight on the main card takes place in the welterweight division as well. This is between Andre Fialio, who comes in at uh, minus 105, and Muslim Salikov, who comes in at minus 115. So pretty much a pick and fight if you look at most... Um, most bookies here fun fight between two primary strikers both who have different ways of going about it uh fialio likes to throw nothing but power in his shots right he became famous or at least well loved amongst the mma masses after his knockout victory over cameron van camp but even in that performance that he had against michelle Pereira, where he was trying to knock his head off the entire time so much so to the point that he was a favorite 
over UFC veteran and tough out Jake Matthews, probably the easiest and best bet I've made all year at plus money was getting Jake Matthews as an underdog that night. But now he's taking a a little bit of a step down in competition against Muslim Salikov, uh, especially with Salikov getting up there in age as well. He has no spry chicken at this point in time. We're talking about a guy that's 38 years old and will be 39 next June. Also, uh, Cody, if you have topology open and you go to Muslim Salikov's page, tell me that man does not look like Ergis Segeta from uh, from back. Yeah, in <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and that's all I ever see whenever I see his topology page. Uh, shout out to my guy Ergis fighting for Unified next month here in Toronto. Either way, uh, getting back to this matchup, like I said, Fialo likes to use a lot of his power shots to try to knock his opponents up. But if he can't, we've seen this guy slow down in the past and he's had to pay for that uh, many times before. I, the the question I have here is like Muslim Salikov just getting knocked out by Li Jing Liang. He he doesn't have as much to worry about here with Fialio, who's just like a, a plotter that throws big shots compared to Li Jing Liang, who's a plotter, but he throws leg kicks and he sets it up and he stays on the gas pretty much the entire time, whereas Fialio really starts to s- slow down after that six to seven minute mark in his fights. Muslim Salikov, he could strike with him. I think he'll have a more diverse skill set when it comes to the striking realm. And I could potentially see him looking to get this fight to the ground just to eat up a little bit of clock and wear on the gas tank of Fialio, eventually getting him out later on in this fight. But I do like Salikov in this spot. I've been waiting for plus money all week, which I don't think I'm going to end up getting. But I kind of like, I know a lot of people are on the violent spot in this fight, which I get. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Muslim Salikov goes out there and has that performance that he had against Francisco Tornado, where he just touches him up from the outside and is content with winning a slow-paced decision victory just off his kickboxing alone. So with that said, Salikov by decision at plus 240 is calling my name, Cody. I really think that if he stay away, stays away from that early power here from Fialio, he will start to put his kicks together and he'll start to get out ahead in terms of numbers and output. And that should allow him to get his hand raised via decision in this spot. So uh, even the over two and a half plus 100, not bad. But plus 240 on Salikov, who in my opinion is the better striker here, just has to stay safe in terms of eating damage. I think he should be fine though. Salikov, Salikov by decision. What are you thinking, my man? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to agree. Um... But I'm gonna sell by knockout actually plus two ten. Bit of a flyer. I understand it's a two to one, you know, prop price tag for sure. But Fialo, it comes back to durability. Like durability is a big key issue for me, right? You can be the most talented guy in the world, but if you can't take that damage coming back at you, it's gonna be a problem. Now I've had this theory going on from for a long time, but first pro loss, Chidi and Jaquani and Bellator knocks him out 21 seconds, right? So first punch that lands clean, he topples to the ground. His fight with AJ Matthews completely gasses out in that fight, took some heavy damage in that fight. His fight with Chris Curtis, my boy Chris Curtis, the action man, just roasts him with a really slow, deliberate pace. And then in the third round, he cooks him all the way and topples him over, right? Then I lost a ton of money on the son of a bitch against Antonio Dos Santos Jr. on LFA. Now, Antonio uh, Dos Santos Jr., who's like a three to one underdog, hadn't fought in like four years and showed up and looked like shit and still beat Fialo. Fialo's ground game iffy, his cardio iffy. His durability, iffy. To me, it's all just ingrained in my head that like he's there, he's there for the taking, right? So now you look at his fight with Michelle Pereira. He comes out, damn, he took all the damage. He took those big shots. Maybe his durability, his durability is better. He knocks out Miguel Beza. He beats Cameron Van Camp. In the Van Camp fight, though, he got rocked early. Early in the first round, he needs to counter right. He stiffens up, shakes it off, and then knocks out Van Camp. But to me, it's like there's that durability issue. So I actually not only hit Jake Matthews to win, I took Jake Matthews inside the distance and that he'd break him down. 
And Jake Matthews knocks them the fuck out. But this is extremely important because Jake Matthews has got one TKO win in his UFC career. The other one is a doctor stoppage against Akbar Theriola, right? And that fight was seven years ago. So he essentially has one knockout in the last seven years. Overall in his MMA career, he has two knockout wins in the last 10 years. Jake Matthews is a grappler. I'm sure he's working on his striking, but by no means is he known for his striking. And by no means is he known for his KO power. He knocks out Fiala. So as you mentioned earlier in the program, it's like, well, Fiala said he was overlooking him. Why? Why would you overlook him? He's a top 15 guy who's long tenured in the division, still young, still getting better, big for the weight class, filling into his own frame. Father was a kickboxing champion. What, 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 what would cause you to overlook him? You're essentially gatekeeper status, taking on a guy that was a poster boy for the division at one point. What, what's there to overlook? But I don't think he did overlook him. He got into a fist fight and he got clipped. He got clipped, he got knocked out. Van Camp clipped him. A lot of these guys clip him, and I think durability seems to be an issue. Salikov, meanwhile, the numbers are way too low. Like, he just doesn't throw enough. That's my one knock on him is he's got great striking, obviously. He's a, a kung fu master. And he's got over like 400 combat sports matchups to his name between you know various disciplines, but it just doesn't really throw a whole lot of punches. He tends to sit down on his shots and try to make them meaningful. But he's got massive power in his hands, man. Jingliang Lee fight, yeah, okay, Leach was able to back him down and break him down. But prior to that, he dropped Francisco Trinaldo, who in a two-plus decade career, 40 pro fights, has never been knocked out. So pretty impressive. They dropped him. And then, uh, again, you know, knocks out Nordin Taleb, knocks out Ricky Rainey. He's got that big power in his hands. It's that he needs an opponent that's defensively has a lot of lapses in his game, and he needs an opponent that's going to come at him, not someone that's going to try to counterpunch with the counterpuncher. He needs an all-action guy who has durability issues. And I honestly feel like Fialo just, he nails both of those boxes. He's going to come forward and try to make it a fight. That's what he does. He's, I don't think he's actively going to try to wrestle all that much. If he did, Salikov's takedown defense is much improved. But I mostly think it's going to be him trying to land those low kicks, him trying to land snappy punch combinations, him trying to rack up volume. He may win the first round. He may win a couple rounds. But at some point, that opportunity will present itself to land the shot. And when Salikov lands that, I think Fialo topples over and goes down. So uh, we are on the same page. I will take the slight underdog play here for Muslim Salikov. I decided to spice it up a little bit and actually go Muslim Salikov by knockout. Yeah, that, that is my concern, that Fialo, if he can't deal with that power, especially later on in this matchup, things get dicey, especially for that plus 240 decision prop that I like. All right, let's get to this next matchup here. It takes us up to the heavyweight division. The next three fights actually take place in uh, the light heavyweight and heavyweight division. So big boys to end off the card here. First of which takes place between Chase Sherman and Waldo Cortez Acosta. We got minus 215 on Cortez Acosta and plus 185 the return on Chase Sherman. Now, Waldo actually fought a couple weeks ago. October 29th, to be exact, where he picked up a decision victory over Jared Vandera. Chase Sherman was scheduled to fight Josh Parisian a couple weeks ago as well, but Parisian had to pull out on fight day due to some sort of medical issue he had. He is all cleared now, ready to go, but they didn't want to put that fight back together so quickly. So Waldo raises his hand. He goes, throw me in there, coach, for the second time in the span of three weeks. I'm ready to go. And can you blame him? He's going up against a guy in Chase Sherman who is a very beatable opponent. Now, I had Chase Sherman in the Josh Parisian fight. I thought that he could put the punches on him. I wasn't impressed with uh, Parisian's uh, striking game, nor was I impressed with his ability to hold opponents on the ground if should he get it there. Uh, but in this matchup, I'm actually leaning with a favorite here in Waldo, who I think can do what Josh Parisian was supposed to do, but much better. 
better striker, better movement, uh, good power in his hands, but showcases an all-around MMA game when you run his tape. You know, from his days in Bellator to even his LFA days, you see a great all-around skill set from him. Great movement for a guy as big as he is, and he can land takedowns and do good damage from on top while controlling, controlling his opponents on the mat. I think Chase is going to struggle with catching this guy, right? Chase will likely have the striking advantage here in terms of throwing numbers out there and combinations and power, but I think he's going to struggle when Waldo initiates the clinch with him and initiates a takedown and tries to drag him to the ground and hold him down from that spot. I understand the love on Chase Sherman that a lot of people seem to be having, concerned, like even just based on the Twitter timelines, I see a lot of people taking the underdog shot here on Chase Sherman. He has the experience advantage. He has a, you know, he's been in the cage for however long compared to Waldo, who's only making his second uh, walk to the cage for the the for the UFC. But I, I just don't think that he is that guy that's going to overcome a more complete fighter like Waldo Cortez Acosta. Line might seem a little bit wide to some people, but I think it's just going to be a matter of time before Waldo showcases to us that he is. You know, he is that step above these middling heavyweights, but he's just a slight step lower than the top of the heavyweight division here. But I think he cruises here against uh, uh, Chase Sherman. I think he grounds him time and time again. And I think he wins this fight by decision. Over one and a half, minus 135, great line in my opinion. Fight to go to decision, plus 175, solid line in my opinion as well. But taking Cortez Acosta specifically to win by decision, anywhere between plus 350 and plus 550, Sign me to hell up. What are you thinking here, Cody? Yeah, well, actually, we we so I cashed that was one of my props of the week on Waldo Cortez two weeks ago. Is he clashed by decision on plus 350? So it was great time. And then to see him take a two-week quick turnaround, it's like, eh, I don't know about all that. I think I'm gonna take that underdog shot on Chase Sherman. So with Waldo Acosta Cortez, yeah, again, very talented, no doubt. Comes from the pro boxing world, you know, uh, long, rangy, can find good jab. He's very much a touch-and-go fighter. He's more of a volume guy. When you look at his record, he hasn't really fought anybody that was willing to stand with him. He's fought a lot of guys that were clinching onto him. Muhammad Darius, Thomas Pedersen, Jared Vandera, his last time out. Vandera could have maybe won the fight had he initiated the clinch. Instead, Vandera just chased him around, very plodding-like. Had a bunch of money on Waldo, right? You, I did not feel super good about that fight against Vandera. Yeah, he won. Vandera's backing him up, and Vandera buckled his lead leg with a couple of kicks. So this is a guy, again, flat-footed, pro boxer. I don't know that he's dealt with a whole lot of leg kicks in his time. All of his MMA fights, mostly against grapplers, and he's he's proven to be a very efficient counter-grappler. You know, good strong hips, good takedown defense, especially up against the cage, keep the fight standing, and box these guys up. They're not throwing back. Vander was the first guy that kind of exchanged shots with them, and you can see that he was not comfortable in that lead leg whatsoever. Now, any fight, any fight, you go in, you fight a man, you're going to take some type of damage. Walking up to the cage, running around, knocking him out in 10 seconds, there is invertedly some type of damage. Fighting anybody for 15 minutes is going to present some type of damage. Fighting a heavyweight for 15 minutes is going to is going to pose some additional damage on the body. And then sure enough, those light kicks, they, they hurt him. So two weeks later, do you think he just was back in the gym Monday? Do you think he's at 100% or do you think it's like, oh, this is a good opportunity for me to get double paid in two weeks and uh, gain some favor with the UFC? Why not? But I don't think that he's at his best. I think he's taking a fight on two weeks notice. Body might not be 100%. Didn't train for Chase Sherman. And now he's taking on a guy that's going to kick him. He's going to go right back after that leg. They've seen what they need to see from the Vandera fight. Where did Jera had success? On the outside, use the leg kicks, right? Where Where is the Aldo Acosta, Cortez, maybe a little bit vulnerable, maybe on the inside, maybe press him back, maybe do these different things. But the fact that Ch Chase Sherman is probably the best striker he's ever fought, 
uh, I think is going to mean something. His ability to mix up the kicks, his ability to mix up high volume, all that's going to be very important. When you look at Acosta, again, volume is his big thing. And by the UFC fight metric numbers, he lands uh, a pretty solid clip, right? 6.21 strikes landed per minute. Chase Sherman's actually one of the few guys that actually eclipses that, you know, 6.51 strikes landed per minute. He's got an entire career of throwing over and landing over 100 significant strikes against multiple different opponents. I still think he is slightly getting better. He's still young for a heavyweight, and he's getting a lot more comfortable. I think he's going to have that, that kickboxing advantage, his ability to go low and hopefully stifle him. And I think he's going to have the ability to uh, mix in superior volume. Again, so when you look at Sherman, Sherman fought, you can't use MMA math, but Sherman fought Jared Vandera. He landed 137 significant strikes and knocked him down. Waldo Cortez fights the same guy, lands 73 significant strikes, and at no point knocked him down. At no point really had him all that rock. The power's lacking. The volume's lacking. And he's taking a fight on two weeks' notice. All of these lead to Chase Sherman being a live underdog. Now, Chase, if there's one knock on him, he's not the biggest knockout guy himself. Volume guy. I like it. Work rate guy. I like it. You know, outside of him being on steroids and finishing Ike Villanueva, you're not really the biggest finishing guy inside the distance. So I think if you were going to take that underdog shot on uh, Chase Sherman, which I agree with, uh, I think you should have juiced it a little bit and go with the Sherman by decision, which is like plus 450. It's an astronomically high price tag. I think this is one of those heavyweight fights that goes to decision. I think Sherman's got a chance. If you want to fade Sherman, go the other way. As Manpreet mentioned, he's not wrong about this. Maybe you take the Acosta-Cortez side by decision and juice it up. You're going to get good plus money, whatever side you decide to go with. But I feel like I'm leaning towards... Chase Sherman in in a battle of the two worst nicknames on the roster. Chase Sherman hopefully <laughs> takes out Salsa Boy. Is that what they call yeah. Waldo Salsa? Come on, man! Come on! You're fighting at the highest level. Vanilla Grill is just tacky. Like Low Dude and Cade, God rest his soul. He was the one and only. And there's like six guys that use the nickname since then. And it's cringy to me. But uh, all the same, hopefully Sherman gets the job done. I like it again. Uh, a lot of dissension amongst us uh, on this card coding more than more than usual, right? Not often that we disagree as much as we have. Uh, so I'm interested to see how it plays out. So far, I feel like we've been on the same page, but you're going with Blada. I got Silva. Yeah. So we got some dissension there. We both got Brady. We both got Vanessa Demopoulos. We both oh, got never Ricky. Mind, never mind. I thought you had Maria for some reason. No, yeah. We both got Vanessa. We both got Ricky. We both got Vince Morales. We both got yep. Marina Rose. You got Charles Johnson. I got Zalgus. That's number yep. two. We both got Jack. We both got Muslim. Dissension number three, Chase Sherman, Waldo, Cortez. So uh, we're ten Still more than usual. In. We're 10 fights in. We agree on seven of them. We disagree on three. The three we disagree on, greasy. They're greasy fights. They're greasy fights. Could go either way. Of those three fights, I got Sherman's a dog, Zalgus is a dog, and who was the other one? So, Silva, Silva's the favorite. Yeah, Silva's the favorite. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the three we disagree on, I got two dogs, you got a dog. You know, they're just they're closely contested fights. Well, we got two more left, and I feel like we might have some dissension there as well. So let's get to this co-main event. And it takes place in the light heavyweight division. We got Kennedy and Zechuku coming in at minus 175, plus 150, the return on Iwan Kutelaba. Now, uh, Kutelaba trying to avoid his first ever three-fight losing streak and possibly a pink slip from the UFC, right? Often we see guys, if they go on that three-fight skid, it's likely the end of their UFC career. So hopefully Iwan can get his hand raised here because who doesn't love seeing Iwan in the cage, right? Uh, he's always a fun fighter to watch compete. Now, since that Devin Clark fight, we saw some solid discipline improvements from him, right? And what I mean by that is, like, he landed eight takedowns in that fight, controlled that fight upwards of 10 minutes against a solid wrestler, 
and Devin Clark. And we saw some great things from him there. And he was able to do good work, gets his hands hand raised by decision. Tries doing it against Ryan Spann in his next fight. Three takedowns landed. Ryan Spann gets up immediately after every single attempt. And then he eventually latches onto that neck after a desperation takedown attempt from Iwan Kuchilaba. Takes that on home with him. Next fight after that, Johnny Walker for Iwan Kuchilaba. Takes the takedown heavy approach again. Lands the first takedown that he goes for. Controls him for two minutes. Gets reversed. Johnny Walker controls him for two minutes and then eventually submits him. If I'm not mistaken, that probably was Johnny Walker's first ever submission victory as well. Shout out to anybody that got in on that plus 1400 or whatever it was that night. The correlation that I feel like will likely be completed this weekend if it does play out that way is that Iwan Kutalaba is just not good against big black dudes. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want to say it a little bit more eloquently like that, but like, those are, that's not the guy he's facing. Like, Devin Clark is. Is black, don't get me wrong, but he's not as big as a Johnny Walker or as a Ryan Spann or even Kennedy and Zachuku, who we have this weekend. But the difference between Kennedy and those other guys is I still think like he's several fights into his UFC career still, but I still feel he has some things that he needs to shore up about his game. We saw a completely different approach from him last time around when he fought Carl, Carl Roberson, where he took him down, controlled him upwards of 10 minutes, and eventually finished him in that third round. Great win for him there. But we've never really seen that takedown heavy approach from him in the past. What he likes to do, stay on the outside, chip away at you from distance, utilize his range, utilize his kicks, and win decisions. That's Kennedy and Zetchuku at his best, in my opinion. Iwan Kuchilaba, I think he needs to go back to the bread and butter of takedowns. Look for the takedown here against Kennedy. Protect your neck and don't get submitted. And you can grind this guy out. Negamarianu, that was a very weird fight for Kennedy and Zechuku. He got a point taken away in that third round. And by all accounts, I think that probably should have gone to a draw at worst. Uh, but Nikolai showcased solid durability in that fight. A very poor man's version of Iwan Kutilaba, if you want to call it that, where they're both like stocky dudes with big power in their hands and they don't mind fighting through a little bit of fire so that they can get their own game off. That's what Kutilaba needs to do here. He's going to eat some shots, but he should be able to get on the inside of Kennedy, push him up against the cage, get a ton of control time, land some takedowns, get some more control time there as well. So the spot that I'm leaning with is Kutilaba by decision. The only reason I'm not, a well, Kutilaba by decision currently sitting plus 700. The only reason I'm not really taking a shot on it as of yet is I want to see if my correlation is correct or not. Like, are these guys too big for him and too athletic that he just can't get them down and keep them down? Or is Kennedy... Again, maybe not as skilled as the prior two guys. And is he going to succumb to that Iwan Kutalaba wrestling power and, and pressure that he gets? So the, the bet that I'd actually be looking at is the over one and a half, which is minus 125. I do think that, you know, outside of an early Kennedy choke, which he's not really known for, uh, I see this creeping over that seven and a half minute mark, whether it's with the grappling of Iwan or that slow pace striking style of Kennedy from distance. So I'm going to go over two and a half as my favorite prop in this matchup. Minus 125, great line. Specifically, a little bit of a conspiracy theory as well. Uh, plus 700 on uh, uh, Kutalaba to win by decision. That's what I'm going to go with. What are you thinking here? We Another, the fourth dissension that we have here, or are you going to agree with me on the underdog as well? Yeah, yeah, I'm a little bit of dissension. I think I'm going to ever so slightly edge the other way. But this is a pass for me. I can see it going many ways. I think it's a very volatile matchup. I think both guys have a good opportunity to win. I don't know that I have a ton of faith either side. But you lean in a little bit towards Kennedy for no really good solid reason. The problem with Eon is as much as he has some legitimate skill, one, he's a little bit undersized at 205 pounds. He looks like he's got the frame of a middleweight, a guy that uh, comes in at six foot one. Not exactly the thickest guy going, but but the way he fights is just 
crazy, man. Everything's pedal to the metal. And before they would let you touch people at the weigh-ins, he'd show up fucking painted green and get up on his fucking face. And it was like, bro, calm down. And then when the fights start, he fights just like that, man. He goes nuts. His best performances, he always gasses against uh, Justin Jacoby, right? He got nine takedowns. The first round is a beatdown. It is a beatdown. Justin Jacoby should have lost a point for grabbing the cage, but he got mauled top to bottom. Most people scored the first round 10-8, and that's the reason why the fight ended up being a draw because after this beautiful 10-8 first round, he gasses, man. He gasses, he loses the second, he loses the third, and ends up being ruled a draw. This fight with Ryan Spann, three takedowns in the first two minutes, gets caught in a guillotine. I'll give him a pass there. Ryan Spann's got one hell of a guillotine choke on him. But it's like everything is just big takedown, big takedown, no top control. Striking, huge explosive movement from the outside to close the distance. Grabs a hold of you, whips you to the ground. You get back up. He does the whole process again and then tires. When he tires, it becomes a problem. His last fight with Johnny Walker. Again, the first couple of minutes maybe has some success. But here's a European combat Sambo champion. Here's a guy that has great throws. Here's a guy that should have some decent grappling. And yet, same thing. He, the fight hits the ground. It's like there's a big uh, discrepancy in, in, in skill here. There's a big gap in skill. Johnny Walker, not known for his grappling, a much better grappler, and he ends up submitting him. So there's a lot of flaws in his game, but I feel like he's just too emotional in there. And uh, yeah, he spent some time on American Top Team. And yeah, it looks like he's taking his strength and conditioning more serious. When he takes on these big guys, you mentioned big black guys. I'm not allowed to say that, white guy. Everything I say is racist. But I can say, you don't deal good with big guys. Big guys is the problem. And Kennedy is exactly that. Six foot five, 83 inch reach. And for Kennedy, his last fight, he actually showed us, you know, some improved grappling. He scored five takedowns um, over Carl Roberson. Ends up TKOing him. I think it was in mid, I think it's early in the third round. He, he smashes him with that yeah. series of elbows, puts him away. But the five takedowns, that was an improvement to me, right? Even his fight with, you'll remember this one, um, Daniel Marquez. Daniel Marquez bumped, but was really good at taking the back. And when he takes guys down and takes their back, guys just don't go anywhere. The first round, Kenny gets his back take, can't go anywhere. Second round, Kenny takes gets his back taken, can't go anywhere. He's down two rounds going into that third round against Daniel Marquez and then turns it up and TKOs him in the third. His cardio solid. Alberg just takes that early storm. When Alberg gasses, he turns up the gas. He takes him out. I feel like his cardio's got an advantage over Ian Kudalaba. I feel like his grappling is something that they've really been working on. He's a big body, going to be tough for Ian to take down, going to be tough for Ian to just lay and pray him. And if he's still there in the third round, there's a chance for him to maybe go out there and clip Ian Kudalaba. I don't really love a whole lot of the props on this fight. I don't like the money line on this fight. I don't like any really one side because I think Ian could take him down and hold him down. I think Kennedy could stuff a few takedowns and, and, and box him up standing. But because gun to my head, got to make a play, I'm actually leaning towards the over on this one. Like Kennedy can knock guys out, but Eon does have a good chin. He's been getting submitted and, you know, outside of him, you know, faking it himself and the referee coming and stopping it. <laughs> the guy can take a hell of a shot. When and Kennedy does win fights, generally they're a little bit later in the fight. I think if Eon has his best performance, he scores takedowns, he holds him down, he gives him an old-fashioned grinding, he wins a decision. If Kennedy has his best performance, I think he may also be able to mix in some offensive wrestling. He might be able to tire him. He might be able to land the superior volume and, and edge out the judges' scorecards. In both scenarios... I could see this fight going 15 minutes. And in that case, fight goes the distance is plus 215. Nobody thinks it's going to go the distance, but I think it does hit that over one and a half. I think it could hit the over two and a half. And if you're going to bit the over two and a half, might as well take fight goes the distance. So that's actually what I did go with plus 215. 
I like it. Uh, you know, for my action network right out that I do, I'm, I'm always forced to make a bet for the co-main event. And I went with the over one and a half in this one. There you go. That minus 125 range. So hopefully that ends up cashing for both of us here. All right. That brings us to our main event of the evening. Shout out to the 140 live viewers that we currently have. Hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. If you're watching this on the back end, drop a comment below as well. Helps out uh, the folks over there at the All-Star to know that we're bringing in some good traction for them as well. Also, a reminder, early card this week, 1, 1 p.m. Eastern time start time for the prelims, 4 p.m. Eastern start time for the main card. So don't get caught napping. Uh, and I always enjoy that. I love early fights. Sooner I wake up and sooner I get to watch fights, me more happy. That's all I'm going to say. All right, let's get to this main event. It takes place in the heavyweight division. We got minus 200 on rising prospect, or I guess I guess he's still a prospect. Uh, Sergey Spivak and plus 170, the return on the UFC knockout leader, Derek Lewis, who has 13 knockouts to his name. He is number one solely at the top in the UFC in terms of knockouts, and you see why whenever he's able to land on his opponents and the way that they react. Now, every single matchup that Derek Lewis gets into He's usually the lesser skilled of the two, right? Like he's he doesn't have the crazy good boxing. He doesn't really have the mechanics down for that. He doesn't really have a crazy good wrestling game or grappling game, but it's his durability, which seems to be waning at this point in time. It's his, uh, his determination in terms of, you know, riding out bad positions and then eventually saying, fuck it, I'm just going to get back up. Gets back to his feet, unloads on his punches and is able to knock his opponents out. Even if it's in the third, fourth, or even fifth round, he can do that. He has five rounds to work here against Sergey Spivak, who's going to be looking to take more of a grapple-heavy approach. That's what the best wrestler in the UFC tried to do against uh, Curtis or against Derek Lewis a couple fights back, and he ended up paying for it by looking straight up to the ceiling and getting knocked the fuck out. That is the type of power that Derek Lewis has, and he's going to be expecting those takedowns just to be coming here from Spivak. And I'm interested to see how he looks to approach it. Is it going to be the uppercut? Is it going to be the hooks? Is he? You know, how is he going to look to to telegraph what's coming his way so that he can encounter it effectively? Of course, Spivak should win this fight as long as he avoids that big bomb. But for some reason, just like I had before that Curtis Blades fight, I have this queasy feeling in my stomach that Derek Lewis will find that chin of Sergey Spivak and knock him out. It's absolutely possible in this spot. I don't want to be invested on the Spivak side at minus 200, although I do believe that he will look minus 500 should the fight go to his game plan. But I still do like... Uh, the Derek Lewis side to go come back and snap that two fight losing streak that he has here. Uh, plus 200 for him to win by knockout is likely the only way I'd take it, even though his money line is at plus 170. But outside of that, I don't really see many other winning uh, ways for him. Again, it's it's more so than a gut feeling than anything. If we want to break down the the X's and O's and, and the technical advantages that Sergey Spivak here, Spivak blows him out of the water. But this is MMA, folks. Yuri Prohaska can go out there and submit Glover to share in round five. That's how crazy of a sport this is. And Derek Lewis could potentially find that knockout in his own right. So, um, and last thing I'll say about this, he doesn't have huge power to worry about coming back his way like he had the last two fights, right? Sergey Spivak, or sorry, uh, Sergey Pavlovich knocks him out. Tai Tuivasa knocks him out. Sergey Spivak, not much of a knockout on the feet kind of guy. Takes you to the ground, gets to a dominant position, and rains down big blows or looks for a submission opportunity to get his hand raised. So having less to worry about on the feet, I think will allow Derek Lewis to let go on the feet a little bit more, potentially finding that knockout and getting him out of there. So um, prediction, I'll go Lewis, Lewis by knockout, but not with a whole lot of conviction here. What are you thinking? 
I I foresee the same shit, bro. Like I'll, I'm gonna play Spivak. I'll probably space, play Spivak at the top, and then I'm looking to hedge out for no other reason than Black Beast gonna Black Beast. I think he's got more than enough power to knock out Spivak. And yes, Spivak is a heavyweight, so all heavyweights to a certain degree are chinny because you're taking on the biggest guys on the planet. But Spivak, especially, dude, his win condition is get the fight to the ground. If he does not get the fight to the ground, he is in a world of shit. Doesn't necessarily have a big black guy problem yet, but Walt Harris, bro, fucking smoked him out of the water. First punch he lands. Uh, that Tom Aspinall fight, same thing. It's two and a half minutes in. Spivak goes 0 for 2 in takedowns, lands zero significant strikes. He got out of his truck 16 to nothing and then got knocked out 220 into the first round. He tried the two takedowns. When they don't materialize, he doesn't have anything to fall back on. So much so that if you watch the Alexei Olenek fight, he loses all the striking exchanges standing but he gets the fight to the ground. He's not a good striker. When you're not a good striker and you're taking on big boys, yeah, it could be a definite problem. In Lewis's case, he's got the power. He's a big heavy hitter. He's got uh, you know, a, a track record of not only knocking out guys, but he's one of these guys that can carry his power through. He can knock you the fuck out in the first round. He can knock you the fuck out in the third round. And in the case of Shamil Abdurakimov, he knocked him out in the fourth round. He carries that power pretty decently. So Spivak not only, not only has to mind his P's and Q's, if he doesn't finish him early, he's going to have to uh, definitely worry the longer this thing take, uh, progresses that he doesn't get Alexander Volkov and just eat that one big shot in an untimely fashion, an untimely time in the fight and get knocked out. Could be a problem. Could be a problem for sure. The reason why I end up staying with Sergey Spivak, a couple of reasons. One, I feel like Derek Lewis is definitely trending downwards. He's not quite as mobile as he used to be. He's been nagging. He's been complaining about a, a bad back, a nagging back injury for a number of years now. I believe he's got some hip issues. He doesn't have a, you know the most training partners. He's a little bit older. He's made his money. He's very adamant. He doesn't care about competing at the high level anymore. So there are all reasons that I don't think I would bank on his puncher's chance that at one time was glorious and is still there. I don't know as that he's that, that motivated to really go back and, and, and get down to that, capture that prime form that's seen him compete for a world title. It just seems to me a little bit checked off. But for Spivak, Spivak's not a dummy. Spivak knows he can't strike. He knows it. So the whole game plan now is get this fucking fight to the ground as fast as humanly possible. And he's actually done quite well at that. If you remember, after getting knocked out by Walt Harris, he took on Tai Tuivasa. Now, Tai Tuivasa is an excellent power puncher. Sergey Spivak went six for eight in takedowns and submitted him in the second round. He dominated him on the ground. He got takedowns whenever he wanted, didn't take any punches stand up, standing against a very strong power puncher and tied to Ivasa. He just closed the distance, went six for eight on takedowns. He mauled him on the ground. Cl nice, clear victory. Him versus Jared Vandera, three for three on takedowns. Him versus Greg Hardy, three for four on takedowns. Him versus Augusto Sakai, six for eight on takedowns. He shoots lots of takedowns. He got high, uh, he's got high success rate with them, high percentages with them. So he realizes the game. I don't want to stand with Tai Tuivasa. He's a power puncher. I don't want to stand with Greg Hardy. He's a power puncher. I don't want to stand with Augusto Sakai. Not as much of a power puncher, but all the same, his win condition has probably clipped me and knocked me out. He's really good at closing the distance, getting a hold of his opponent, and peeling him to the ground. So yeah, he could get knocked out. No doubt about it. It seems to me like more case, uh, more likely than not, he probably gets a hold of Derek Lewis, outside trips him to the ground, gets on top, establishes beautiful top control. Spivak on top is a problem. If Lewis powers his way back up, which he's been known to do, I think Spivak stays right up on him up against the cage, takes him right back down, and then all of a sudden you're going to see Lewis start to deplete. You're going to see Lewis start to get tired. You're going to see Lewis accept positions. And as soon as he accepts that position on the ground, I feel like that's the Spivak's going to take over. So low-key, I actually went with the Spivak by submission prop. He's got a nasty submission game. Again, he does his best work on top, tires opponent out, 
not big on TKOs, but sort of just, you know, work away until that submission eventually opens itself up. And then he's got good head and arm chokes. He's got a good rear naked choke. He likes to attack specifically the chokes. Um, but with Derek Lewis, it's like he's panicked in these situations many of times and, and while well, give, giving up the chokes. Sure, his losses show mostly by TKO. In fact, he hasn't been submitted since Daniel Cormier way back in the day. But if you remember that fight, Cormier just like slinks an arm on his chin and Lewis just taps immediately. Doesn't want to be there. Doesn't like getting wrestled. Doesn't like getting submitted. But the UFC's smart, so they give him Blagoy Ivanov, a banger. Ilya Latifi was a shit fight, but it's like he doesn't really do anything, I guess. Curtis Blades, Cyril Gone, Chris Doukas, Kai Tuivasa, Sergei Pavlovich. They've given him these exciting, mostly stand-up guys. They haven't given him a, a pure takedown artist and a pure grappler in quite some time. But I feel like Spivak will show you the reason why the UFC doesn't match him up with these guys. He gets taken down, he gets submitted. He's not exactly the most entertaining guy. They want to give him high profile, you know, go out there and entertain the crowd type fights. Him fighting off his back and trying to get out of chokes, not him at his best. And that's what he's getting versus Sergey Spivak. So I plan on hedging out because I, I, I get that same gut feeling where it's like, I get main events wrong all the time and you feel good about it and you feel good about it. And then it's just like, oh, damn, dude, it was a heavyweight. Why would you Why would you put a heavyweight on your top ticket? Women's MMA, why would you put women's MMA on the top ticket? They're very uh, unpredictable weight categories, right? They're unpredictable fights. When you get Derek Lewis, how many times does he cash in as a plus money underdog with a Hail Mary KO? Tons of times, right? I can't overlook that aspect. I can't overlook that possibility. But I got to go with the probability and what's most likely to happen. And what's most likely to happen is Lewis can't grapple, man. He really can't. Spivak's going to expose that issue in his game. Yeah, the the that's the that's always been the big issue for Lewis is just dealing with guys that are way more skilled than him and then can avoid that big power of him. And Sergey Spivak absolutely has that in the bag here, and I love that plus three hundred submission play as well because you know he to 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 really get Lewis out of there, he's probably going to have to put him out cold. He has a mean arm triangle choke as uh, Tai Tuivasa obviously found a, a couple fights back. Or I think that he could potentially get it done here. But that gut feeling, I'm not going to overlook it this time. I overlooked it when he fought Curtis Blades. I'm not overlooking it this time. Plus 200, Lewis by KO. Like I said, a little bit of dissension uh, amongst the last two fights for us here, Cody. So all in all, I think five fights that were uh, kind of up five against of each other here. Yeah, damn. So, shit is going down. Yeah, this is a great time done. for the All-Star to release that prop that they used to have. It's like, who yes. going to get more picks right? Let me, let, me, let me see if I can hook that up. And if I do, I'll be sure to tweet it out. And hopefully we can get some action on that. All right. To wrap this bad boy up, let's go over the three best prop bets that me and Cody have. Um, I'll kick it off as I usually do. First one up, I'm going to go with Charles Johnson by decision, plus 150. I think he outworks Jalgas on the feet. I think he stops his clinch positions and takedowns and just you know beats him with speed, movement, and his superior boxing and striking game. Uh, so I think we'll see Johnson outstrike him over 15 minutes. Take home that decision victory, plus 150. Sign me up. Next up. I'm going to go Cortez Acosta by decision, plus 550. I think he has the overall better game here. I think he'll have to land some takedowns, uh, utilize his size a little bit here against a guy like Chase Sherman. He can stay competitive enough in the striking, but I think for him to do his best work, he's going to have to get that clinch and wrestling game going to get his hand raised. And I think once this hits the judges' scorecards, that plus 550 is going to look mighty nice. And then lastly, I'm going to go with Lewis by KO, plus 200. Not many props that I very much like on this card. I mean, I, I probably could have thrown in that Demopolis by submission prop as well at plus 300, but I ultimately... Stuck with my gut here. I'm going Lewis via knockout plus 200. Cody, what do you got? 
Yeah, I always go big plus money, but now we're going to take the safe play. Just a little safe play. Let's do a bump up the bankroll, and then we'll take our big plus money plays. But uh, Jack Madalena Della by TKO. I just honestly, I think this is a good line, minus 175. I see you putting the pressure on, on Danny Roberts to get greedy. Maybe you chase that under one and a half, but I think this is the safe route. Get it done inside the distance, more preferably by TKO, plus uh, minus 175. Now we got straight dissension up in this bitch. You got Cortez Acosta by decision. I went the other way. I, I had to go with Sherman by decision. We got Spivak here first. He's got the Lewis by KO. I had Spivak by decision. So, yeah, we're not exactly on the same page. The good news for you here, guys, is if we get everything fucking wrong, but either <laughs> Acosta wins his decision or Sherman wins the decision, we good, baby. We good. We still make a Monday. Hopefully, it doesn't happen that way. Well, hopefully, my side wins. No offense, man. Pre, um, I'll give you one of them. You can have Johnson by decision. Um, but yeah, but all the same. Listen, I think I think both of us are looking at this more from a value standpoint, right? Is this by far your best lock? No. Take one of these minus two hundreds. Take this fight goes the distance, and in one of these other fights that we talked about. If you want to chase that, what looks like that big value, he's not wrong. This is a heavyweight fight that looks green lit to go to decision. People automatically assume heavyweights, quick finish, big power punching. Both guys have a tendency to go 15 minutes. They have a tendency to land those big strikes in high volume, but not necessarily get the knockout. So it doesn't matter what side you're on. The value is on that fighter by decision. He went Waldo, and you're seeing huge fucking value, plus 550. On the other side, I did go with Chase Sherman. He's on a plus 450, probably because he's won a few more decisions in his time. But uh, it's big value either side, so can't fault him. The second play, though, the Spivak by submission, it's much of the same. Spivak shows TKO wins in the UFC, but Derek Lewis is one of those guys that will take a few shots, right? He takes a few shots, and he tends to roll and turn. He rolls and he turns, right? When he rolls and he turns, that's going to be the opportunity to snatch up the neck. I think Spivak can do it. I think it's a big plus money tag, just considering Spivak is a good submission artist, and Derek Lewis, not exactly known for his submission defense. Now, the other key is we always talk about recency bias and this and that. I think the recency bias there, and while Spivak hasn't submitted anybody in a while, and Lewis hasn't been submitted in a while, right? So therefore, what are the chances of that happening? It's all about matchmaking. We all know Lewis can't wrestle, and yet Lewis hasn't been taken down in over two years. He's been taken down one, the last time was Alexei Olenek. Blades never took him down. God never took him down. Doukas, tied to Ivasa, Sergei Pavlovich. So it's like, oh, maybe his takedown defense is not that bad. They're not trying. They're not trying. And I can't assure you of many things. Nothing's 100%. But if I can assure you on one thing, that is 100%. Spivak's at least going to fucking try take down. <laughs> He'd have to be brain dead otherwise. he got to go for it. Got to go for it early and often. He's taken on Ty. He's taken on Greg Hardy. To a lesser extent, his last fight. When you get these big power punchers, close that distance. Get them up against the cage. Trip them to the ground. He's got a big, long frame. He's really good with the trips. And with Lewis, um, it's single-leg takedowns, uh, low inside trips, low outside trips, ankle picks. He's got bad balance. You can trip him up. And I feel like Spivak's um, style of, of wrestling is going to be perfect for that. So I'll hedge out at the end of the night if I've got multiple uh, tickets intact. Similar to last week, I'll pull the shoot because I recognize the danger. But uh, pre-fight flop. I got to go speed back. I got to go speed back by a submission. I don't think we've ever had an instance where we've had like two best props kind of going head to head there. So very intriguing stuff there. Hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we go one and one spread the love here, Cody. Who knows? We'll see how that goes. All right. Uh, appreciate everybody checking out the show as always. Make sure you guys drop a like and subscribe below. If you haven't already, Cody, I'll give you the platform Sorry, one last time here for some reason. Oh, did we lose Cody? Check, check. 
I don't know if it's me or Cody, if anybody in the comment section could let me know, that would be great, whether you guys could hear me or not. But we're right at the back end of the show, right almost at the end here. Let me see. Uh, let's see if that works. Maybe I can. Nope, that definitely doesn't work either. But want to pass it. I wanted to pass it to Cody so that he can wrap this thing up for your boy. But uh doesn't seem like that will be happening. So I guess on behalf of myself and Cody, we appreciate you guys checking out the show. As always, make sure you guys uh, tune. Well, actually, there's no event next week. So there will be no propping you up next week. But we will be back for the week of December 3rd. Um, <laughs> for the week of December 3rd, where we can... Uh, talk about that big UFC Orlando card coming up between uh, Kevin Holland and Wonderboy Thomas here in the main event. Appreciate everybody checking out the show. We'll see you guys in two weeks' time. Good luck on your bets. Peace out.